Alright, welcome back to the Intercut Sundance Recap. I'm still Zach, joined by Arturo and Amanda. We just ran through all of the official competition categories, and now we've got the other half of the festival to navigate the premieres, the midnights, the next, even the kids section, and maybe some shorts as well. Why don't we kick things off with the premieres and just the narratives in premieres first, because I think this is a lot of the movies that people really, really care about and really are excited to see at Sundance. Like, this one is the category that has more of the celebrities in the movies or comes from directors you might know, whereas U.S. Dramatic is... People, people trying sometimes to make a name. waiting to be discovered, yeah. right? So there's a lot of exciting stuff in this one, and we'll kick it off with uh, one of Amanda's favorites from the festival, Am I Okay? Directed by Stephanie Aline and Tig Notaro. It follows a pair of best friends, played by Dakota Johnson and Sonoya Mizuno, who, when one gets promoted at work, has to transfer from Los Angeles to London. The other then confesses that they're attracted to women, so best friend is determined to help best friend before leaving the country. Amanda, you had it all the way at number two mm -hmm. on your top ten films of the Sundance Film Festival when we did that dispatch. So uh, you can go ahead and check more of our thoughts there. But it has since been picked up by HBO Max. So Amanda, are you happy with that as a landing spot for Am I Okay? Yeah, I think that's a great spot. Like HBO Max is one of those ones that's only available in the States, but because it's so big, it gets the distribution through like Crave in Canada or sometimes the HBO Max stuff ends up on Amazon Prime. So I do think that this is going to end up going out to a lot of people. And this is the kind of movie that a lot of people are going to be interested in watching and they're going to go find it. You got all the Dakota Johnson stands. Again, the lesbians will turn up for anything. <laughs> Like, you think this will have like a happiest season kind of moment? Yeah, I don't know if it'll go quite as far as happiest season. I think everyone was just with that one. It everyone should. was like, oh, my God, it's a Christmas movie for the lesbians with <laughs> Kristen motherfucking Stewart and Aubrey Plaza right. and Mackenzie Davis. Like, we're having a great time yeah. here. This is so good. Um, but this is up there. Like, Dakota Johnson's really charming. I think that... Uh, you know, she really fought that uphill battle against the Fifty Shades and came out stronger, faster than Kristen yep. Stewart did out of the Twilight saga, which is very unusual yeah. to me. Um, probably just because Twilight became so big everywhere, whereas like you can't really sell like Dommy Mommy merch in stores the same way you can with Twilight merch. So you'd be surprised. I know I'd be surprised, but I know I worked in retail at the time. Like I, I've got a pretty, I got, I got a handle on it, but. Uh, <laughs> I do think that this is probably going to pick up its fan base. The only thing I think, and I don't think this is a spoiler, it's just I feel like the movie is marketing itself in a way that like people might expecting be expecting it to go one way. It really is a friendship between these two. You get the, yeah. the gay payoff and stuff, but it is this is a friendship movie, uh, first and foremost. Yeah, I wonder if it is just that one picture that is... No, it's, no, not it's just the a description, picture. too. Right. The description. Yeah. She, it's a description. She is right. Yeah, yeah you're right. The, the description, description kind of really like made it sound like it was a relationship between Dakota Johnson and Sonoya yeah. Mizuno. I was very shocked that that's not I the direction it, it went in. But it was still good yeah yeah it's still good but they should i'm very curious how the marketing is going to be because right. are they trying to bait people into that which i understand why yes but i think it's smarter for you considering you already have a solid movie to not have to do people out no there. just be yeah. honest just be like yeah this is somebody who's coming and into terms with yeah like coming she's somebody coming into terms with her sexuality and these are friends coming into terms with kind of like their different dynamics and how they work as friends and like the struggles you can have but coming together it's very similar to like a super bad type thing where you've got like the the different personality types and how those end up blending together in terms of independence and codependence. Um, 
I don't, I don't think they need to do themselves the disservice of marketing this as something that it isn't. But uh, I, right. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was uh, very charming. Uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Did Am I Okay have the best instance of a character dropping the title of the movie of any of the Sundance films? No, Emily the Criminal. Emily because the they didn't cr- actually say Emily they, the Criminal in Emily the Criminal. Emily the Otherwise, teacher, I would they give it to Emily, Emily the Criminal. Yeah. I feel that that's what makes it cool. Yeah, yeah. they dance yeah. around. I feel it. like they made you say it. That's yeah. insane. Yeah, yeah. That's why I, th- I don't. That that's my answer. I agree. For that I agree. Yeah. Okay. Although they didn't but technically I see what you say mean, it. You're looking for someone yeah. who says it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, honk for Jesus. Save yourself. <laughs> 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 I'm okay. I had a pretty good one though. Yeah, yeah. I did. I, I, if you're going from that point, but I also think that with it being a movie that not only has Tignataro and Stephanie, her spouse, in it, but then you also have Will Ferrell as producer and Dakota as producer. Mm-hmm. Then you have Saint Vincent making the music, yep. which that being Dakota's like best friend, and that's her way of bringing her in after she was in Saint Vincent's uh, yeah. Sundance yeah. movie. Yeah. So I think there's a lot going. Through it, one of the things we had mentioned, we had brought it up in one of our previous videos, was uh, Sonoya. Mm-hmm. Dakota's going to get mm-hmm. the love and deserves it rightfully so. With this movie being solid, but even better with uh, the one we had mentioned for Chacha, her role there. Yeah. Sonoya, though, killed it with this she one did. in being a, a, a role that we haven't seen her in the past with her side as Lala in Ex Machina. Even with Devs, which I thought she killed it in. Yeah. I, I love what she brought side into to this her one. character, yeah. yeah. And it's the she buffer really between House of Dragons. So when she's on HBO and she actually becomes a household name, yeah. just know that uh, she is an MIOK and you should definitely catch this one. Put this one on your radar. And you said HBO Max? Yeah. HBO Max. It's done. It's done. Keep it's it good. all in one streaming oh, service. Oh, my goodness. It's going to be right on the same thing. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> All right, called Jane, directed by Carol screenwriter Phyllis Nagy. It follows a suburban housewife who's recruited into a clandestine organization of women who provide alternatives to treatment within the medical establishment. Amanda, did you get to pay good attention to this one? I was I was cooking chicken at the time. I, I, think. I was. I feel like I paid the most attention somehow, but I still don't know if I fully paid attention. Like, it was fine. This is, I think I kept describing this as like, this is the perfect movie to have on while you're doing other things. And like, you could recommend a family <laughs> if they're like, okay with this type of subject matter and aren't going right. to yell at you for it. Um, it's like, it's like one of those solid biopics that's like not overly offensive. And it makes people think like, wow, like things were really, that was a real struggle back then that people had to go through. And some really good performances, like out of Elizabeth Banks and a couple of the other people that I caught. Um, I don't think it's necessarily the best movie I've ever seen on the subject matter, but uh, yeah, it was like, it's enjoyable enough. It's something that I'd I'd watch it again just to like really kind of catch the stuff that I would have missed while like we were eating or cooking or editing and stuff like that. But yeah, that was good. From the little bits I saw, it felt just a little bit like a like a Hollywoodized yes. version of the story, if that makes sense. It's not it's not kind of like a gritty retelling not of at it. All. It's it's dressed up, and maybe maybe that'll make it a little bit more open to people or easy to watch yeah. but I had no hopes for this one at all because you <laughs> it got a bunch for, of bad reviews at you first you had the Janes yeah. and you had Colin Janes the yeah. Janes being the doc and I was intrigued by that one not just because of the, the, the story but because of the actual footage that they were going to get in terms yeah. of the archives for Chicago and the movement that happened this was like so what if we took like the woman who was least affected by it and focused on her, her yeah so I didn't have the highest hopes from this. So we did reach out for Call Jane and The Janes. They said they were cool, that they were set. So those are the two movies. And again, being from Chicago, I had more hopes for the doc right. than the feature. But yeah, we heard mixed things from the feature. I know Amanda didn't hate it, but we had some people yeah. who actually preferred Sigourney over Elizabeth Banks. I would say, it. yeah, Sigourney, Sigourney was, right? was better for sure. People kept uh, But that's not surprising. It's out. Sigourney Weaver. Like, yeah. 
but like she's a side character compared right. to yeah, what her name like, is. but I, I'm curious. It is partially based on true events, and it comes from the writer who did Carol, this mm-hmm. being her directorial and I, I believe uh, written feature. So I, I'm curious to catch both of these once they get their distribution. I don't know who picked either of them up. I'm still more curious for the James yeah. than I am Colin Jane. Yeah. Emily the Criminal, directed by John Patton Ford, about a gig economy worker who gets involved in a group that commits credit card fraud. Did all three of us have this in our top tens? I know I had it in mine. You didn't? Just missed yours? It's in my top ten. Yeah. Just missed mine. So y'all yeah. talk about it. Y'all both. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I, I just thought it was a really effective kind of uh, small-time thriller, small-time crime thriller. Mm-hmm. I saw somebody describe it as a uh, gig economy thriller, which is a it's, nice, concise way of... Yeah, yeah. It, it felt like a, a little bit um, Nightcrawler light. You know, mm-hmm. like at times, yeah, especially she, like, the ending, like it has that yeah, vibe. She finds out about a world and kind of dives full in and becomes really good at it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I compared it the most to Bamboozled, mm-hmm. the idea that you're able to figure out about this like underbelly that people are you know, using and scheming through and then figuring out how you can make that into your own. Yeah. Yeah. And Aubrey's very good in it, she I, I think, in a way that we weren't necessarily expecting from her. I don't think it's anything too unexpected i feel like she has done the work Mm -hmm. where i can see a performance like this and be like you were really good in it and you brought up the point of like it would be completely different depending on what other actress you could have in it yeah she's done a really good job at being able to i feel like we've been so used to an aubrey plaza role being like oh it's aubrey plaza we know what we're gonna get and i see what you mean by you're watching this and she's able to become the performance Mm -hmm. more than what we've been used to for a decade out of aubrey where you're like oh she's gonna play that quirky character exactly and i think it's now she's becoming it's the kind of role that you need to take as an actor so that people are willing to accept you in more than one way right Mm -hmm. chucky (laughs) between black bear which i think is still our personal favorite from her performances yeah black bear is insane this yeah i am fully loving this this new I don't even want to say second half this new yeah layer mm-hmm. of her career yeah because I think I described it like with, with Black Bear it felt like that movie was written for her it was like we're gonna just take right. everything we know you can do amp it up a little bit really play on how you can like mess with people psychologically but then take you to a level that like people haven't ever yeah. seen before where you're like emotionally breaking down where you're not the one in control of the situation which isn't common for an Aubrey Plaza role. Uh, still felt like it was written specifically with her in mind this was like they wrote it and then aubrey happened to be the best fit but in a way that people might not necessarily expect like this doesn't feel like april from parks and rec in a movie but it feels like aubrey plaza in a great way yeah every emotion that she had in black bear it was too much it was too much all in one so now we got to make those into individual movies yeah Yeah. but when y'all ready for black bear go watch black bear it's on hulu (laughs) absolutely God's Country, directed by Julian Higgins, about two hunters who trespass on the property of a woman, played by Thendiwe Newton, setting off a series of increasing retaliations as well as instances of racism and sexism. Art, what did you make of God's Country? John Wick Yellowstone? Uh, So they pitched this as a modern neo-Western thriller. Mm -hmm. Uh, Out of the two movies that we got this year, uh, dealing with a POC woman in college with a a high... um, profile i'm gonna go with master yeah. i thought this one was pretty good and i know i think out of our entire group alina liked it the most yes. she really liked what it was serving up i thought it was okay it really felt like just a hair away from it being uh who i just mentioned from yellowstone what's his name sicario the yeah, writer taylor sheridan it felt like taylor sheridan trying to do this right type of movie i don't want to see the taylor yeah. sheridan type movie of this i don't think it's bad i can mm-hmm. say i get why people don't like it mm-hmm. um but I think 
I'm just as confused for the people who overly love it. Yeah. I don't right. know, I'm somewhere in the middle of it. I thought it Same. was okay for what it was aiming to do, but we had very similar mm-hmm. movies in this lineup that also had uh, very similar perspectives of a... Because of a, what, what's her, what is she in this? She's really high up in the college uh, with what she has to I think to she's, a with. she's a professor. She's a professor. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, if you're comparing it to Master, I'm going to choose that one. Dandy doesn't give a bad performance in it, but you're a majority of the time... Just wondering if you could do something different with it. Yeah, I agree. It's written in a way that she is put in this hole and that there's only one way for her to answer it. So you're kind of just sitting there hostage as well going like, well, I know what you want me to see her do, so let me see her do it. Yeah. So there's a moment early in the movie that really just kind of, it amplifies like a Wind River climax moment, except it's in the opening scene. So you know it can really only go so far as, as it's amping up, but it's really just kind of establishing existing tensions that are in this town that she's kind of, entering and battling against um but then it just mm-hmm. slows right down again and then it, it's uh, it's a slow burn until it kind of gets to its conclusion yeah yeah see that's the thing it, the movie is kind of like waiting to watching a pot waiting for it to boil yeah. over and i think like for me the movie was just on simmer for a little bit too long yeah right? i agree like i i needed a little bit more of that heat i little need a little more of that confrontation because it felt like it was sitting at one mode for, for a, a long bit, time yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, to compare it to Master, I think there's just more happening in that movie yeah. that I was intrigued by. I agree. So, um, not not my favorite of the fest, although I don't like I not don't understand that, why people yeah, responded yeah, it's not to that it. It's a yeah. bad movie. Really uh, appreciate the line. Um, I won't give no context to it. Just you're here, though. We hired you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, let's go to Good Luck to You, Leo Grand, directed by Sophie Hyde, about a retired school teacher who hires a young sex worker in order to broaden her sexual horizons, but the two can't help but get distracted by an interest in each other's lives. Yes, sir. I had this at number 10 on my top 10 films of Sundance, and we discussed it on that live stream, but you were telling me that you can't, you couldn't stop thinking about this one. What a damn surprise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I first saw this one, I just read it as like, oh, are you just in a room together? Definitely nothing dealing with COVID compliance. <laughs> they made this work to their favor. Mm-hmm. It really yeah. is a woman who isn't just mourning the fact that she's lost her loved one, but she's also still mourning the fact that she's never lived life. Right. She uh, calls her whole relationship, her whole love life as I kiss him and then I go to bed. That is <laughs> it. So she is trying to discover all of these things in the second half of her life. Mm-hmm. And it is like, besides describing the movie as this cutesy, I think you had put it that you you can uh, almost recommend this one to anybody. Yeah, yeah like almost. it's a sweet comedy that probably, like, as long as you're not going to have weird sexual hangups about it, like, <laughs> yeah. anybody could watch. But it is also like, I don't want to call it a message movie because I feel yeah. it's going to deteriorate from some people who are trying it's, to pitch it. Not. But it is a profound kind of like, uh, damn, what's the word? It's I'm, just I'm, an exploration of the lives. And even more than exploration, yeah. it is this like, like, the flag on the ground, like, this is who I am, this is my right. body, this is my sexuality type mm-hmm. thing, that I was just like, you yeah. go, girl. And it's it's kind of about, like, what are you going, like, how are you going to go through life, more so than, like, oh, what does it mean For to be alive? And that yeah, was it, what was beautiful mm-hmm. with the conversation, right. because it really is a bottle film where they're both having this discussion with each other yeah. every time that they meet at this hotel. And that's the thing that I really did appreciate about mm-hmm. it more, is how it wa- they were kind of, in some ways, um, like, funhouse mirror images yeah. of each other. It's and, like, what? You don't accept that in your life? And he's like, you, you talking about me? Yeah. yeah. You don't accept, yeah. Oh, it was really good. It's it just very delightful, and uh, of course, like any movie that's going to be anchored on Emma Thomas' performance is going to be great, and yeah. she is so good and doing some really, really cool stuff in this movie. Mm-hmm. It's also Emma, and I'm like, I don't know, I just think it's Emma, she's f- fully attractive, so she, when she's trying to play coy, I'm like, Emma, stop, yeah. Emma. Yeah. Yeah. Stop, Emma. 
but a really good I'm, I'm glad you came line i'm glad you came <laughs> <laughs> very good very good movie um yeah and, and we were satisfied <laughs> very satisfied with our very good sp- surprise because i had that lower in, in half of my uh yeah my looks and that one surprisingly went really exactly high. We, but we, even then in the premieres it's still in the middle because we are jam-packed with these we premieres. are absolutely all right, let's go to Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul from twin filmmakers Adama and Adana Ibo, the pastor and first lady of a Southern Baptist megachurch, uh, following the pastor and first lady of a Southern Baptist megachurch as they tried to reopen after a scandal that caused them to close. Mm-hmm. Amanda had this on her top 10 films of Sundance, so you can hear more of our thoughts on that one in in, uh, in that video. But Art, how are you feeling now that we've sat on this for a few days? I think it was one of the funnier films that... I caught mm-hmm. from Sundance. The moment they said, Yosai Rocky. <laughs> Rocky lost. Yeah, but he won in Rocky 2. I knew this yeah, was Yeah, baby, my we're talking yeah. about Rocky 2. We've been through this. I knew this was my movie. I absolutely love this. I thought that they brought in a lot mm-hmm. of uh, really good humor with it, a lot of things that you just need to, that are just unspoken. You're aware of it if you've ever just seen a church service like this. Uh, this is based off of their debut short film. Yeah. They've also worked on Atlanta. They've also worked on the new Mr. and Mrs. Smith with Gambino, so you mm-hmm. can't say that they haven't been in the presence of talent. I really love this one, and it has my favorite performance of the festival, which Regina Hall. Regina Hall. Mm-hmm. So uh, it is a mockumentary. It is funny, but it does have some very deep moments in there. I do agree with you, even though I'm I'm I gave it a little bit more leeway on the second half when you were talking about where it kind of slows down yeah. a bit. Uh, I didn't mind it as much, but I I I, I definitely see that right there. Uh, but I, it still really worked for me. I can't wait to watch this again and. As we put it, if this would have been seen at the Ray, at the Eccles, <laughs> I wanted to see this with the crowd. I wanted everyone to be laughing. Amazing yeah. crowd movie. Yeah. So if this comes out in theaters, I would love to see this with an audience. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to Living, directed by Oliver Hermanis. It's about a bureaucrat who spends his days pushing around paperwork, who has to reckon with his existence after he's diagnosed with a, a robot fatal. Movie? Illness. It's based on the Cyborg, Akira huh? Kurosawa film Ikiru. My bad. <laughs> uh, art. Living was picked up by Sony Pictures Classics. Do you think they're a good fit for this film? They're a perfect film. Yeah. This was one of our wrap ups of the nights. We were all really tired with this. We were delusional and thinking he was yeah. going to be a robot of some <laughs> sorts. We discussed all this in a previous video, but nonetheless, it is a very interesting adaptation. Um, I'd have to rewatch the Akira one yeah. to tell you how they line up between the two, but I thought Sony Pictures Classics picking this one up is a sign that they have very much faith in at least, bare minimum, a writing or an acting uh, yeah. spot for this. Because if you think of the father, did the father end up getting Best Picture? Uh, it did get a Best Picture in a lot. It, and that yeah. was their selection out of Sundance exactly, that year. So yeah. if this is their selection out of Sundance this year, this is going to be one where it's not going to premiere in the spring or summer. You're going to have to wait real late. Yeah. We waited till what for the father? February? So February. we were going to wait for this one. We yeah. waited up till 12 p.m. Exactly. to make sure we got it. Exactly. Uh, I ended up really enjoying it. I thought it was a very good performance from several of the people around, especially Bill Nye. I, I don't know the guy's name, and I want to continue calling him a kid because we've seen him since he was so mm-hmm. young, but there is a group of insurance people who end up like trying to figure out um, whether they should allow the insurance to go through for him or not. And I thought he gave a really interesting performance uh, as well as the whole group because they're looking back, almost piecing his life together. That's mm-hmm. what it becomes in the second act. But no, I really like this. Uh, I thought this was a really good movie. I would give this a very solid junior price if you're watching this in your our house theater. Uh, <laughs> go catch this in an early morning. This is one of those where you watch it and you still come out in his daytime. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and you enjoy it. So we'll... It'll be interesting to see how this deals in 2023 because uh, Sony does not play around. Sony Picture Classics 
does not play exactly yeah we have the a Bill Nye Oscar campaign incoming very shortly, I believe. And it was very solid. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, yeah, he's very good in it. Also an actor, like, he's one of those actors who kind of deserves an It's Time campaign. So this, you know. <laughs> yeah, we're not fans of the Times campaigns, but I agree with you. Yeah. Um, so I, w- I would say that, like, this is definitely one to keep on your radar. I, I was a little bit, like, I, I felt it hard to get into the story for a while, partially because of how they're telling it. But when you are towards the end and you see all the pieces and why they fit in the places mm-hmm. they do, like, I think it is really interesting how they structure it and go back and forth yeah, a little bit. I liked it. Um, so I, I, again, I would like to see it when I am not at the end of a 10 movie day. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about resurrection because it was directed by Andrew Siemens follows a successful woman and single mother whose life is upended when she recognizes a shadowy figure from her past. All three of us had this on our top 10 films of Sundance because we believe in Rebecca Hall supremacy. Uh, You can find more of our thoughts over in that video with the top 10 films of Sundance. But this one just got picked up by IFC and Shudder, which beautiful, per- perfect home for a movie Resurrection like this. Resurrection Watcher. What did we say about doubles? Two movies where a woman is seeing a creep will try to follow them. Yep. yep. And both of them get picked up by IFC. IFC has just got that market down for this yeah. year. Mm-hmm. Uh, my second favorite performance, I think, did y'all have her as one? I have as number one. Yeah, I think she's my number favorite. one if I just don't give like the selfish nod to Dakota Johnson and Cha-Cha. But yeah. it, this was like I mean, really monologue, spectacular. Right? That monologue, oh you, my god! You can say that monologue. You can say that final confrontation. Yes. Like just the her her resolve yeah. in that moment, especially like counter to how Tim Roth is playing. Yeah, the designer scene. Oh, Tim Roth, another. You don't have this movie if you don't also have Tim yeah. Roth. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Tim yeah. Roth. That's what I mean. The, at the end of the when year. Tim Roth really like, there's just moments where he, the way that he's commanding the situation, and when things aren't going the way he expects, or when they do start going the way he expects, it's just like it's chilling. Especially when you mm-hmm. have this woman who's so intelligent, knows exactly what's happening, but because of things that have happened to her before, it's like superstition. It's like I know that if I say something out loud and then knock on wood or on my head because it's the next closest thing. It's not actually doing anything, but it's superstition. You do it anyways. That's kind of right, what yeah, it feels right. like when yeah. she's navigating through this movie. It's a very good unanswered question movie where they'll throw out a piece of information and then you're kind of like, okay, what, what? are they going? What are they going? Yeah. What, what does that, that mean? mean? What are they going to do about that? Like, what? How? What? She's is, not going to fall for it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And just like throwing out all these little bits, it's like, wait, what? And I, I was, I think the movie is actually really well crafted. Like, I don't want to j- overshadow. Uh, the movie by talking about how good her performance is because the movie is also really cool, Mm -hmm. really messed up in the kind of way that I think you hope for in in watching these kinds of stories. And it gives you that, it gives you that satisfying payoff in the end. That last scene's really, really good. I think it's really good. I like this one a lot. Me too. put it in radar. Sharp Stick, directed by Lena Dunham. It's about a naive 26-year-old who seeks out sexual encounters as she attempts to lose her virginity. We didn't put this in our Sundance doubles list, but this and Good Luck to You, Leo Grand had the sex lists. We were yes, talking we about that. Lists, yeah. uh, Amanda. Yeah, this one was based on the alphabet. Amanda, this was Lena Dunham's return to Sundance after 11 years when she was at Sundance with Tiny Furniture. Was her return a welcome one? you gotta give me the controversial question <laughs> um I don't know it depends who you ask 
I saw. Were you happy to see her back at Sunday? No, every time I would cr- I would scroll by this and be like, oh, that could be something. And then I see who made it. And I was like, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can I defend it? Yeah, please. Go for I it. I didn't think it was that bad. It's not I terrible. think it's very uncomfortable. I don't think it's a terrible movie. I, I think she made some choices that I found out about later that were terrible. In that Spoilers? they coded I, the I, main character. They're saying a naive 26-year-old, and then you're watching to the point that I was like, did they steal this girl from like a religious compound or something? Because she seems like like she's nah, Amish. And I, don't, and I don't think that's a spoiler. You are 100% yeah, right with this. Then I you, will enjoy the movie. Yeah. Go, no, go you go. It. You go. Go for it. Well, I was going to say off of the point that you had made, I enjoy the movie from that perspective of a 20-something-year-old girl who's trying to find her sexuality. Yeah. Yeah. It does not need to be perfect. She does not need to not make mistakes. Mm-hmm. She is just discovering who she is. Yes. The movie straight up lies to you, and they tried to cast, what's her name, from Sia's music, okay? They tried this. They tried to have this Maddie. girl act like mm-hmm. she has autism, like she's Maddie right. Ziegler, yeah. and it is very obvious. Yeah. The movie then pretends to just never answer that question, yeah. but it is very clear they gave her that direction. Mm-hmm. I'm watching it, not just because I'm seeing her, but because I remember the summary kind of hinting at it. Then it turns out, and Amanda, feel free to take this away, that somebody came in and announced that they had approached her for the project. Yeah. To see how she could play as or someone who's to on be the spectrum. Consulted. Yeah, they were yeah. like, literally, we are writing someone who is neurodivergent on the autism spectrum, most likely. Can you please come in and check to make sure our script's good? Then suddenly, no, never mind. We don't need you. We don't want you. And then after they're already in the process of working on it, say, well, you can read the script, but we're just not going to. So she reads it. And I was like, this is not okay, basically, is what this person establishes. And then she's like, I haven't seen the final project, so I don't know if they stayed that direction. And they absolutely did. And I yeah, don't think they did they a good did. job with it because they don't address it properly. They don't do anything with it, right? They don't it just, address it at all. They don't address it at all. They just it, say, well, yeah. I'm like she's looking because like her sister. coming out when she's drinking. Yeah. The she's yogurt. The yogurt. And I'm like, this isn't a regular person. You're clearly trying to play off of something Yeah. Here, but right. then you don't want to address it. And that's a completely different story. And it's, yes, not, that's an it's not about like... It's not about the movie explaining yeah. exactly who she is no. as a character. Like I don't think I don't think movies have to do that. No, absolutely not. Goes, you want to know about your backstory? Let's do this bit where well, I tell you about your backstory. Yeah. Right. Like it's it's about the character not feeling like a complete character. Yes. It's about her feeling like like impressions of something rather than like a full human being. Like pieces you know? of a caricature. Like, she, like kind of like kind of, but I'd say that she is fleshed out, but just double. She's two characters. She's, well, yeah, yeah maybe, it's maybe. like very yeah, like a caricature. It, it doesn't yeah. cohere. Yeah, they try to like double, but like and they wanted to be something. And they're like, oh, you can't be that. But we won't change. We just won't mention that you were supposed to be. And that. I think mm-hmm. that's the case with a lot of the characters in this movie, not just her. That they don't kind of they don't feel like full characters. They feel like different people in different moments yeah. in a way that didn't really make the drama work as well mm-hmm. for me. I agree. I, I liked the setup in... I liked a lot of the content of the scenes. I liked mm-hmm. a lot of the back and forths. But it was almost like they were like actors rehearsing scenes rather than characters. And yeah. You're seeing John Bernthal and he doesn't come off as a character. At some point you're like, oh, so we're only seeing it from her perspective because right. that's how she sees him. Yeah. And then you realize that's not the method the movie's using. No. So then you, it kind of feels cheap the way you're seeing people. Yeah. yeah. I, look, I don't hate the movie. That's I actually, no, I don't hate it. I was like very, I, I thought it was very interesting to, to, to follow her through but at the end of it, there's so many gripes about it and then obviously the baggage that she carries with her yeah. that 
it's almost exhaustive to try to defend the movie for right. what it tries to do. But there, there really is some See, interesting points. I in think it. there's I, a strong message mo- there. I think there's something yeah. strong that's important of people exploring sexuality and, and feeling comfortable mm-hmm. in themselves and who they are as people and like making mistakes growing up and learning from those mistakes. Uh, and like not feeling ashamed of the things they want to be and try and, yes. and yeah. navigating through this world. It's just that it's overshadowed by a lot of stuff that probably could have been cleaned up really easily with just like talking to a couple people that they clearly tried mm-hmm. to and then decided not to. Yeah, and there's some COVID stuff happening too. I wonder if that factors into that too. Oh, I think like the very uh, simplistic way of describing mm-hmm. it is a, it's a movie in moments that I wanted to give four stars and in other moments I wanted to give two stars and I've yeah. settled at three. That's, yeah, you know? that's valid. Amen, amen. Yeah, amen, amen, <laughs> <right>. baby. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go to When You Finish Saving the World, the, the last rabbit? in Ooh. our premiere narrative. You want to give a quick shout out to Final Cut for being... <laughs> cut from the movie, festival? Yeah, a movie that it's an adaptation, a French adaptation of uh, One Cut of the Dead, which I absolutely adore. Mm-hmm. So we when were they, cu- curious. We were curious, a little upset, but yeah. the moment that they announced virtual, they were like, and we will not be joining. Who else? <laughs> yeah. Nobody joined them. Yeah. So Final Cut of the Dead, cut, yeah. surprisingly comes from the director who won the Oscar for, for the, the artist. artist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll see when we see that. Ben. Exactly. Talk about what are your favorites, dude. <laughs> yeah. When you finish saving the world. Yet not only did we do... Uh, and after Sundance review of this movie, I named it my favorite of Sundance 2022. So you can check it out there or check Since it out in other places. Seen, we've heard the podcast. We've listened to the podcast on our drive. Yeah, back. exactly. Mm-hmm. So uh, we, we got a chance to listen to the Audible series that this is based on. I was curious what you thought about the Audible series. When So it begins with, a, it's broken into three parts. You have Jesse Eisenberg voicing the dad. And then you actually do have Finn Wolfhard voicing hit the character that he same plays. Same character, in yeah. Ziggy, same time period as well. But then they do a very interesting thing in uh, having Ka- uh, Caitlin Deaver Caitlin Deaver voice the mom interesting yes when she was younger when she was younger okay. so it's a very interesting, mm, way, yeah. the, interesting. The way that they play with the time the, the book goes from what is it 2006 or 2006 to 2012 no, to 32 back, back to, to 2002 yeah so yeah. you're kind of like in the present future past and they do a really interesting job in why they're even leaving a voice message to begin yeah. with uh, not just in terms of therapy or a voice memo, but also AI because it's taking place in 2032. It is definitely more fleshed out. There are a lot of things that make you like the story a lot more, but I also like the stripped back version of it Mm -hmm. because Jesse Eisenberg talks for the first two hours. I like Jesse quite a bit in this. I, I, I like tend Jesse. to like Jesse, but I, I thought he was funny in, in, I mean, he's writing to his strengths. Um, there's He's a lot, bro. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna listen to it because I do like Jesse Eisenberg a lot. So we'll you see. should, Amanda. You should, and he has some very interesting things. But he's so neurodivergent. <laughs> I don't, like he. Whoa! You think I go on tangents? This man went out five damn tangents and then came back and I was this out of original. Um, I still like them, but I can. You cannot lie that you can't just pitch this. To yeah. somebody, and the first two hours is Jesse Eisenberg. Right, no, you have to be willing to... B- the same way that I feel about When You Finish Saving the World, the movie, I feel about the Audible series, is that you have to be ready for that level of neuroticism, <laughs> that level of it anxiety. It. it passes it. Yeah, but it's it's really... I think it's really enjoyable, and I think it's really it interesting. I, 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 th- I thought his performance of it is very uh, fun. I, you know, it's... It's definitely got all of those mannerisms, but I, it wasn't too much for me. It may be even better than the movie, Amanda. But if you thought the movie was cringe, 
This thing says bye to cringe and leaves it behind on my, uh, Mile Interstate 1. It is insane what Yeah, Jesse I feel like does. listening's probably a little bit better. For me, it's like watching, yeah. and I was like, please don't show me the crowd reaction. Please don't fucking show me the crowd reaction. Amanda, Amanda good luck. Good luck. <laughs> what part was good? Caitlin killed it. She's it. absolutely oh, she's fantastic okay. in the in the audiobook. Okay, in terms of the movie, though, I think overall uh, we all enjoyed it to a yeah. different degree. I think you enjoyed it the most out of yep. all of us. I'm in the middle. Amanda hated it. She thought it was the worst. Thing <laughs> I did the not. I did but, not hate it. Um, I'm curious to see how this plays with people. With it still having the yeah. A24 back, backdrop to it, definitely is going to get a full release. In my opinion, you know, it's funny because I think usually films end up getting a warmer reception at Sundance that they than they do after Sundance. Right, like they get, really? yeah. I think sometimes movies get a lot of praise out of Sundance, and then they come out and they kind of get forgotten. And not every movie, but a lot of movies. Okay. And I think this might be one of the opposite ones in that it kind of got middling oh, and even on that? negative praise. No, it that is how it got. And yeah. I think it, I think it'll find its audience. I hope it does because I felt like a lot of people were just like, "Ugh, Jesse Eisenberg, am I right?" And I'm like, yeah. The, the most popular yeah. letterbox review of this movie is like, when the revolution starts, Jesse is the first one against the wall or some shit, which is maybe anti-Semitic even. But, <laughs> <laughs> like, what? That's just, you're, you have a personal problem. That's just letterbox, though. Yeah. yeah. We'll see how, it, when it finally comes Anti-Semitism, out. Anti-Semitism, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so uh, that is the narratives from the premieres section. I, I said that my favorite was when he finished saving the world, but I, I'd throw resurrection and probably good luck to you, Leo. Gra- no, actually, Emily the Criminal. Those, those are my three. Uh, Emily, when you finish saving the world, and what did I say? Resurrection. Uh, that's your number one. Wait, what's no, your no, no, ranking no. in those? Oh, three? so when you finish saving the world, number one. Emily. Uh, resurrection. resurrection. All right. Amanda. Am I okay? Emily, resurrection. Nice. Was Actually, top bottom? yeah, maybe Haunt for Jesus. That one's, it's going back and forth with Resurrection on that one. All right, I'll go bottom top. Am I okay at number three? Really enjoyed it. I just, I did hey. it. That was fantastic. Resurrection at number two? Just, ah. Solid. It's so good. Number one's Haunt for Jesus. Wow. Save Your Soul. That's my number That's one. good one. The premieres, and okay. Obviously also made my top ten. Okay, cool. Three of these making my top ten, by the way. Let's head into the premieres docs, which uh, a lot of high profile and interesting docs in this category. The first one here is Second Chance, which is directed by Ramin Barani, or Roger Ebert's filmmaker of Should the decade. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think we have to go super long on it. It's a look at the life of a bankrupt pizzeria owner, Richard Davis, who invented the bulletproof vest and then grew his company Second Chance, Chance to be one of the largest body armor producers in the world. It's a documentary about an eccentric guy who lived a fascinating life, but Art, were you fascinated? No. Uh, the guy. The whole premise is the guy shoots himself 192 times to prove his vest. I just don't understand the point of the documentary. Clearly, he doesn't like him, mm-hmm. but gives him a lot of leeway. It reminds me of in Mainstream, where Gia Coppola... Gia? Sophia? Yeah. Whoever... Which one of the Coppola's it was? Gia. In making a movie talking about like YouTube and then bringing in said YouTubers who they're calling out right. and then giving them a spotlight in the movie, it's really dumb. And it was structured this is a little the bit dumbest weirdly. movie I think out of Sundance from its perspective. Mm-hmm. It is structured weirdly. Yeah, it's structured in a way that like just kills the momentum. Yes. And I just yeah I found myself not really like 
not feeling like I was taken on a ride. Mm-hmm. You don't even like hate it. You're just like disinterested. You're almost disappointed. But yeah. you're like, what were you trying and to do? And every time with you this? think it's going to end, it just kind of keeps meandering on into something else yeah. that you're like, Which does this almost, matter? Yeah, it almost, yeah, it almost adds to the character and going like, this almost seems like a positive doc. Yeah. You're almost making a recollection of how he survived and endured. And right. I don't think that's mm-hmm. what you wanted to make. That's my least favorite of the docs. And we had one that we yeah. argued to the screen with. <laughs> so for this to be my least favorite. I think the only reason that it's not my least favorite. Well, actually, though, there's two two that I have below this one. And we talked about TikTok boom already, so. Oh, well, I'm just talking premiere docs, but uh, yes. Yeah, we'll, okay. get to the, we'll get to the other yeah. premiere doc that I hated. I hated this one more than the other one. Really? <laughs> I think it's next, no? Yeah, it's next, so let's get into Brainwashed Sex Camera Power, directed by Nina Menkes. It is a lecture and video essay on the history of the male gaze in cinema and its harmful repercussions. We were actually pretty excited for this one when we took a look at the lineup because it's a, you know, maybe it was going to give us Woodlands dark and dreary vibes, sure. but for the male gaze. Sure. I told you that there was going to be something up with this doc, and I don't think we talked more through a movie than this one. Yeah, I'm like no, editing it every once in a while. Time. I'd be like, what the fuck, guys? What the fuck? <laughs> We're using that example for that was the point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Go ahead. I mean, look. So, I, I am, I am open to the idea of a documentary or a video essay or an essay of any kind. Very uh, Arguing, arguing about the male gaze, its history in cinema, because th- those are you can't argue around like the, that's a thing that exists and uh, it the it's a consequence of the vast majority of filmmakers being men and men being the subjects of movies and women being and the secondary roles more often just understanding cinematography yeah. and the dynamics in terms of the film industry it all makes sense yeah. yeah where this documentary starts going off the track is that they try we to haven't say, seen her previous movies because her previous <laughs> movies were the ones right those were the ones that, that they did right. right yeah no so where it starts going off the track for me is when they say okay let's take a look at these uh, box office champions and these Oscar nominees and these films that won the Cannes Film Festival and see what they're doing and what what makes them so popular. Okay, here's something that went straight to Netflix and was watched majority by women. Uh, here's something that came out in the 1930s. Here's there something that no came out yesterday. Here's something that reason. came out in the 1970s. Like there's, it, you, I think it where with Woodlands we felt like that was a somehow. Got wrapped its head around a big subject. This there was way too many differentiating factors that they didn't talk about. It was very heteronormative mm-hmm. in its approach too, and gender essentialist too. In that, like these movies were directed by men, so they were like this, and then these movies were directed by lesbians, so they did something different. Like, I, but then they would forget when uh, an example that they're showing that they call a negative was directed by a woman, like Hustlers the, or Titan yeah, or Wonder Woman. Yeah, they had a purpose in of mind of what it was going for when it was right. showing something like that. That it was just there's no nuance. There's no nuance to fucking any There's of it. Talking heads that are saying something and they're not aware of what the editor is I think that's the right. bigger issue. That's wrong. Because sometimes and it then, yeah. was the like the narrator, so the I'm assuming the director a lot of the time would be saying things or like that and main speech that. and then they would use references Can't like that that's a to dumb an interviewer. Reference. But then you'd yeah. have like um never rarely, sometimes always Eliza Hitman. Yeah, yeah, Eliza Hitman saying something. She was saying some crazy stuff, and it's good. It's no, good. smart stuff. And then smart they put stuff. a movie yeah, on they, top of it that doesn't apply, and, and it makes her look stupid. <laughs> like It mm-hmm. does. That's really bad. And then, yeah, the, the movie stops to let you know that the uh, director of this, uh, Menkes, she has directed her own, and those are good examples. And I'm like, you're doing the exact same thing you had, you had just shown us. Mm-hmm. Very obviously also has a vendetta against certain, I'm just going to say films, I'm not even going to say filmmakers. There are movies 
that she just, if this was a YouTube video, you'd be hit with a copyright. I can tell you that much right <laughs> yep. now. With the amount of times you kept going back to these movies. Yeah. Or there were other examples. Uh, I know it was Caitlin who had said, why did she just show us Mandingo? Yeah. <laughs> yeah like the, the use of Mandingo was disgusting. so weird. <laughs> like... I will say that the entire movie is a like TED talk. It is this yeah. actual presentation that she gave on a stage. And I can only imagine how cool the stage uh, presentation is because she'll use the footage. She's got like a theater seats for herself yeah. that she sits down yeah. when she's actually watching it, which to us in the movie is just, you know, full screen. Mm-hmm. But she'll sit there and the way that all the PowerPoint presentations behind her and it's all very graphic and it moves mm-hmm. along. It looks like a really good um I don't call it performance, but a talk. Yeah, it's in it's terms of a doc, it's also a very interesting a conversation that is being had. But like we've all brought up, she is saying that it's not sexual abuse that happens. She is saying that you watch movies like this, and that's what leads to right. it. Right, and that's where you go. Like that, you are not saying that these are doing bad visuals. You are almost saying Spike Lee is responsible. Yeah. right. For like actual crimes. Yeah. Disgusting. Because he didn't shoot it like you did. And that's weird. Yeah, Very it's gross. really She ends weird. it with a shot of her own movie. That's when we all went, no. Yeah, yeah. it was like... Yeah, it, <laughs> don't call out other filmmakers and then be like, maybe they should have made movies like I did in my grad thing. I don't know. Yeah, I think ultimately, you know, these are arguments that, that make sense on a macro mm. level if you take them and you look at the film industry as a whole. But then you try to dial in on the examples given and they just fall apart. No they fall apart. And if you can't apply your arguments with the context, then you shouldn't make those arguments. You wonder if she saw the movie. Right, right. But even then, she at least kind of had an idea. Second Chance was so bad. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to another premiere documentary that I didn't have very positive things to say about. (laughs) Uh, Downfall, The Case Against Boeing. This one's going to be on Netflix on February 18th. So y'all be able able to catch it very soon. It's directed by Rory Kennedy. And it's an investigation into the airplane company Boeing and their failure to respond to two of their 737 Maxes crashing in one calendar year. uh, So this one is uh, trying to take a look at this issue and this company's failure, this corruption that led to uh, this tragic situation. And, you know, systematically approach it uh, to... To compare it to Aftershock, which was one of my favorite documentaries from the festival, Aftershock is all about the failures of the uh, healthcare system when it comes to expecting black black mothers. And yet, over the course of its runtime, it keeps finding these new angles and these new uh, parts of the story that haven't yet been covered. And it, it keeps working its way around until you feel like you know the whole issue. Boeing... I didn't get that sense from that documentary. I felt Boeing bad. And then it five minutes later said, Hey, Boeing's still bad. Yeah. And it, you know, a lot of it was contingent on this one thing that failed. And like, yes, it's awful that that one thing failed, but I don't know if it's something that needs to be 90 minutes long. I think the best way you put it earlier was, uh, it's a CNN segment, right? Not even a CNN doc. Cause CNN docs could be pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. But there's a difference between having a whole feature and then having something that is really just a segment. Yeah. And that doesn't take away from their stories. It's just whoever decided to put this movie together did not really have a cohesive doc to go with it. It was more so just letting you know, look what happened to these families and the and the passengers and yeah. going bad. Which is still interesting, but just ultimately not one of the films that like caught my attention. I will say the biggest point that it did was we got a Boeing building right here. Yeah. And they mentioned why the Boeing building was moved to Chicago. Yeah. And I went like, that's why that ugly police thing is on our skyline. Yep. 
So. All right. So from one of the worst documentaries of the festival to one of the best, let's go to Genius, a Kanye trilogy, except it's only part one visions, but, but it's the beginning of something we're really excited for. I don't think we need to say a whole lot else because you already made this your number one film of Sundance when we did our top tens segment. With After Yang. It was my number one documentary, hands down. It's not even close. It'll all be out on Netflix. Watch it even if you're not a Kanye fan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think all of us just give it a high, high recommendation. I was going to name it my number one film of Sundance had I not known that you already had it covered. It gave us a chance to include some more movies on our lists. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about La Guerra Civil, which was one of your most anticipated documentaries of Sundance. Directed by Eva Longoria Baston, it follows the rivalry between Mexican boxer Julio Cesar Chavez and his Mexican-American challenger, Oscar de la Hoya. Art, we caught this one on day one. Did it live up to your expectations? I think it's a very solid doc. I really yeah. enjoy the footage that they're able to capture. You know, the highest quality footage you can possibly get uh, of these fights, of their behind the scenes, them training when they were super young. I, I really love all that stuff. And I think it gets into the aspect of what it's really trying to cover in the sense of uh, Mexicans and Mexican-Americans and the difference that's there. I like that, you know. Yeah. I don't think it got as deep as it... Like, literally, I read the summary and I was like, that's so interesting. And the movie is as interesting as that summary. Right. Not deeper. Ah, yeah. Yeah. I wanted to absolutely adore this movie, but I cannot lie that it's not as profound as uh, it could have been. But it's still really interesting to look back at all of these, you know, historical figures and uh, what what carried with them. Because it wasn't just their own baggage of trying to be a winner, but it was what they represented to specific immigrants and, mm-hmm. and people who were back home. There's a lot to like in this movie, but it definitely left a lot to be desired, and I think you brought up a really good point in terms of who they chose to be the talking heads. Yeah, like it's a very fascinating documentary, but I think when you watch a documentary like this and you have talking heads, you really want them to be insightful figures who know more than, than you do or, or than like the average person would. And two of the very frequent appearing talking heads are Mario Lopez and George Lopez. I have no problem with them as entertainers, but are they really like the experts in boxing? You're seeing them in the second half and you're like, why are they still talking? Right. Like that's when you realize what she was really going for. She was trying to get that culture wave of it. And I was just like, sometimes the best way to get there isn't through these people. They don't have to speak for it. And I think she felt like, well, it's Mario Lopez, right? You all still see him on an E, and it's George, right? So you also yeah. see him there. I'm like, they're going to tell you a little bit, but I think you could have gone a little more profound. They're, they had someone who was actually in sports, the, the one right. who kept speaking. And those are the interviews that are actually that very valuable. More, yeah, because she had a little bit more of an insight that you could see. When she's telling you, she's like, yeah, you had your, you know, the, the Mexicans who were, who were going for Chavez. The women really liked the young version of mine. And she was actually giving you insights. Yeah. Um, and I wanted a little bit more of that. Yeah. And I like I do wonder if the fact that they got interviews with both of the, of the boxers, like, maybe contributed to not going as deep on some of the things that they could You know, have. you could, you could feel it, too. You could see them not talking about things in order to get both of these two prolific figures to sit down yeah. and talk. Which, like, maybe that's the trade-off. Like, you to hear it from their mouth is nice and it's interesting, but I, I when we finished it, I said, like, this is ultimately, like a, we, a, it's like an ESPN documentary. It's not even, like a not even, theatrical it's zone. Yeah. <laughs> it's at the zone. Yeah. Uh, but there was that aspect also in where you're like, wait, we're just going to get through a specific fight just like that? Yeah. And you're like, no, Spend less be than five here. minutes on it? Um, so, like, with Genius and this, you can, you can definitely tell that there is so much extra footage to use on these people that you're almost thinking of well, who's going to be the next person right. to make this doc? With Genius, I was never feeling like, wait, I wanted more of that. 
For like, part I, one. I, I mean, I did for part one. Yeah, 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 exactly. We'll see. But they, they, they actually gave you the stuff you wanted, and I don't think that uh, Guerra Civil gave you all those juicy little details. No, but it's so, it's so pretty solid. Yeah, but no, no. definitely entertaining. Lucy and Desi, directed by Amy Poehler, a profile of Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, their lives as entertainers, business people, and icons. This one comes out on Amazon in March, March fourth, I want to say. Yeah, early March. So we got about a month to go. Uh, Art, did you think this was better or worse than being the Ricardos? It was better, and I was surprised how much I like it. I have it yeah. pretty high up. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. I, I like Amy Poehler's perspective because the moment that I saw that this was Amy Poehler, I went like, oh my gosh, she's your idol, isn't she? <laughs> you look at Lucy and you look at Amy and you're like, I don't know, I felt like you're really going to come into this and give it your all. I, I thought she did. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, not only do I think it's better... I think it's BS that they're going to use this damn movie to promote, to being promote the, the other yeah. one. And Zach, hasn't it already happened? There's yeah. a promo for this for this movie going out on Twitter for the doc, and people are discussing being the Ricardos, and people have to go like, no, that's this isn't being the Ricardos, right. it's yeah. the other one. You, you say your bit about the march about the voting well, for march it's two weeks before oscar voting closes so they're trying to you know maybe gin up a little more interest in the lucille ball story and maybe you see her and it's like wow look at how good nicole kidman did at recreating that we should vote her for best actress no. it's so smart don't get me wrong yeah fuck off Great job, Amazon. Yeah. Y'all suck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's cynical, but it's, it's, so it's cynical, a good yeah. move. Yeah. I liked it. Uh, I yeah. thought it was very well done. Both this and Nothing Compares, the Sinead O'Connor documentary, did something that I think more documentaries should do, which is you can have the talking heads. We don't have to see them. The footage is way more interesting. Yeah. And particularly for somebody like Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, there's a lot of really good footage to see. Mm-hmm. I like the doc. Yeah. I really, like, I really enjoyed the doc. I thought it, it was, was excellent. It was I thought nice. it was really, really good. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have two documentaries that unfortunately we didn't get to see. We have My Old School, directed by John McCloyd, and we have The Princess, directed by Ed Perkins. That one is a life at the look, uh, a look at the life of Princess Diana, and that one is an HBO film. So I have a feeling that we'll see this one not too Pretty long soon. from now. Yeah. Although who knows with My Old School. Because that one doesn't have distribution yeah. yet, and it seemed kind of experimental. It seemed like it. I know that uh, what they ended up getting was uh, what's the actor's name? Was it Alan, Alan Cumming? Cumming. Yeah. So Alan Cumming comes in, and he is lip syncing the entire performance. Yeah. You have all these people who are discussing this guy named Brandon who went to their school, and Alan Cumming comes in because we've never we're not supposed to know what this guy looks like. Mm. He lip syncs mm-hmm. all of the guy's interview. <clears throat> That's all I know about this. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of cool. So big about the person. We'll see when we see They wouldn't respond one. to our emails. They would not respond, but The Princess is coming out on HBO, and I feel like we've seen so many of these, besides Netflix getting the yeah. rights to the uh, Broadway that see, was shot, mm-hmm. besides Spencer, besides Netflix also having the other archival thing that was Diana in her, her mm-hmm. own words. This is Diana in her own archives? See, that's the thing. I thought this was going to be the Lucy and Desi for Kristen Stewart's Oscar campaign, but I don't think it's owned by the same company. <laughs> that's where they messed up, yeah. but uh, I, I've heard nothing but good things about The Princess. So yeah. uh, we'll be catching that when it comes out on HBO. Let's go to To the End, the latest doc from Rachel Lears, who did Knock Down the House, which uh, did pretty well on Netflix. A lot of people watched that one. Yeah. Following activists working to advocate for climate reform and the Green New Deal. Art, were you moved by this documentary? Um, having people tell you for 90 minutes, we're going to die, yeah. is it usually uh, probably the most... Gets to you after a little? Um... I guess it's a very interesting doc because it definitely is under the banner of AOC. AOC mm-hmm. is on 
it's just smart to have a documentary crew with you to push all that stuff. And I know for this one, she plays a very big uh, role in terms of what this organization is trying to push to the government for them to pay attention to the fact that the world is on fire. And it's it's kind of split because I really don't know what the directors think, right? Mm-hmm. They will showcase people who are like, this is it. There's nothing else. And then you have people who are like, you know what? I've decided to have a child because I have hope. Right. And it's not, I will say, it's very depressing, but it actually does not end on the most depressing note. Mm-hmm. It's an okay doc. I don't think you're going to be in... Like, what else? Since I've been going to 2017, man, I went mm-hmm. in, they were like, the coral, the coral reef is dying. Mm-hmm. Once you start learning the coral reef is dying, what else can a, can a movie tell you yeah. about what's happening? Um, I don't know. I don't think it's... There's a lot of documentaries that try to cover subjects like this. And what I does think, this do that, that, that tells you the, something the, you don't already know? The thing that I think is a little bit different is that what Rachel Lears, I think, does well in her documentaries is give you kind of like that over-the-shoulder perspective. Like you're there on the ground with them as they do their CNN appearances. They go to speak on Capitol Hill. They go and meet with different officials. I don't know if it's necessarily going to like revolutionize your perspective on these things because they're not necessarily the most revealing conversations being had. It's more like, oh, I recognize that building that they're walking through right now. Um, You know, yeah, I I didn't think, I didn't think this was like the most moving bit of uh, climate, climate activism. I guess like, you know, it's interesting if you're interested in these people or what their lives are like. Um, I also think that just, just this is just one that felt like it was too too much involved in the moment. Like they're they're talking about bills that are actively being debated by the government right now. This is what I mean. Like Navalny. Yeah. Where you have a movie that is very much of the moment. And yeah. that's not always a bad thing, but in terms of a movie, yeah. It, it limits your perspective because you're does. limited to the moment. And I, I think I would have preferred this exact story if it had come out five years from now. Mm. They would have been better. I yeah. will say this. Prove to me why they're losing, bro. They are. They <laughs> suck at delivering their message. Yeah. There is one person who I thought I found very interesting. It, w- it would have been the Hispanic woman who get kept getting her segments cut on CNN. Yeah. And when she gets them cut, she realizes like, do they just not want me? And someone kind of breaks it down for her if it's not her herself who realizes like, maybe I can write the points, but I'm not really good at delivering the points. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, that's the most profound thing that you have said here. Right. Where. I think for many people on this side fighting for climate change, they end up canceling each other out instead of making a message because someone's like, we need to stop this. And they're like, no, we need to stop this. And then they cancel each other and never actually do right. any progress. The movie covers that extremely well. I did that too. Yeah. So, uh, and again, that's the being in the room to hear them. That's an accident that ha- I don't think the movie was trying to tell you why they're losing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's just giving you that perspective. <laughs> it did kind of show you why they're not getting across to yeah, people. For sure. For sure. Uh, let's wrap up the premieres with We Need to Talk About Cosby, directed by W. Kamau Bell. It's a four-part documentary currently streaming on Showtime, taking a look at the historic nearly 50-year show business career of Bill Cosby, as well as the sinister reality that hid beneath his likable persona, Art, the Cosby scandal was breathlessly covered in the media, as as well as his career. But did you still find yourself learning things from We Need to Talk About Cosby? Yes. I know you got to listen to it. You didn't really get to see the uh, nuance in his performance. Um, Yeah, I listened to you watch it in my backseat. Beautifully well put in terms of the archives Mm -hmm. and going back through not just, remember, not just his movies, his show, but his stand-up, his interviews, everything that he did. It is beautifully edited. 
in terms of being able to really get the scope of who this man was and what he's been thinking the entire time. Bringing in the actual victims to retell their stories was profound in a way that previous Sundance movies such as On the Record had done. Um, and even I, I want to say the directors who had done the Alan Farrell uh, series, right? The the one that's on HBO about Woody Allen. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They had a movie uh, this fest as well. This movie, I, there was something about the way that they just got the people to sit down mm -hmm. and the woman just spoke that felt... I don't even... I want to... Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know. It felt like they really got to the nitty-gritty of the yeah. scenario better than the other docs did. And that's not to say, like, oh, well, they spoke their, their truth more than the other docs did. No, it's just the approach that they had with it where they're, like, they weren't trying to make it uh, the turning point in the doc. Yeah. And, and maybe that's because it's episodic. Mm -hmm. that they were, like, so this is the moment that we're going to take for this woman as opposed to, like, and now here's the big talking point that we have for on the record, and then Oprah right. doesn't like it, and then Oprah leaves, right? Yeah. <laughs> this didn't feel like they were dealing with any of that. They know what the truth is. Right. This is more a doc, and it's in the name. This isn't about whether you think it's true or not. This is about whether you're ready to have the conversation. Exactly. And I think what's really cool about the documentary, like, it's not trying to make the case that, yes, he did these things. It, it kind of wants you to already believe it, right? Uh, it, 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 And it will go into those instances. He and... said jokes about, that's where... It... He said jokes about this stuff mm -hmm. in his stand-up. Right. It, it, it makes the case well, but it's not its primary objective. Its primary objective is try, try and figure out what Bill Cosby's place in the modern cultural landscape is. It Because it is undeniable that he is an extremely important figure, not just in the entertainment industry, but in black culture. And like he's a historic figure. They talk about how he he had the record for the largest historical, uh, the largest donation to uh, an all-black yep. institution, a historically black college. Like, these are things that you cannot erase just because he's a bad guy, but what do they mean now that we know he is a bad guy? And that's what's really fascinating about the approach here, that it that it tries to reckon with all of it at once. And I don't know Could if we've seen a, a documentary that's quite done it. It's more the like the takedown piece. Uh -huh. And I don't I, we don't need the take, Cosby takedown piece. Anybody who like has a heart <laughs> knows how to feel about him at this point. But. I think the closest I can compare it to was uh, leaving not leaving Neverland. Um, sorry, the. Um... Surviving R. Kelly. Surviving yeah. R. Kelly, yes. Because, That's a good one. And, and that mm -hmm. one's even different because uh, it's so drastic what happens when you release something like that while the investigation is going on. Yeah. This isn't this one isn't coming out when the investigation is going on. It's the opposite. It's the investigation has happened and in the middle of making the doc, they feel it's released, yeah. Uh yeah, you broke it down. It's not just what it means to black culture, but young modern black culture mm -hmm. and how they see him as an old head very fascinating yeah then take all that away and just look at someone who is a popular person mm -hmm. someone who is in the mainstream how do they dictate their image for you mm -hmm. and on purpose mm -hmm. to make sure that you're not paying attention to what they don't want you to pay attention to it's my second in the premiere docs it's a really good documentary. I had Lucy and Desi at number two, but we, we caught this one on the way back over here, and I thought it was absolutely profound. Very great use of its editing and the way that they were able to bring up old archives. And, yeah, the way they just weave through that this has been something. The Spanish fly bits? Insane. Yeah. Crazy. Absolutely insane. And you realize who he really was as a person this entire time. Yeah, so if I'm going my, my top three from top to bottom from this section of the category, I'd go Genius number one, I'd go We Need to Talk About Cosby number two, and I'd go Lucy and Desi number three. Nice. Uh, 
Wow, same thing. Genius number one. We need to talk about Cosby, Lucy, and Dusty. We should have a podcast. We should have a podcast together. <laughs> I have Navalny in this. I don't know why. <laughs> Amanda, what are yours? Uh, I haven't seen Cosby, sadly. So uh, my number one is Genius, and then it would be Lucy and Desi. And then after that, I don't really know. Yeah. yeah. All right. Not the strongest part of the Sundance catalog. A lot of these categories are pretty strong, but... It's decent. I thought yeah. it was yeah, decent. Yeah. It will, it's not the strongest because it's got two that like kind of yeah. piss us off. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> All right, let's get into Spotlight. These are all movies that have premiered at other festivals. All but great. We finally got a chance to get them. All great. I mean, the, the, if they're bringing them to Sundance, they better be good. Every single they one They better is great. be good. And uh, we're kicking it off with maybe the best of all of them in After Gang, directed by Kogo Nada. So it debuted at the Cannes Film Festival, although Come on. supposedly it has been cut in some way. Like, they say. The runtime is a little bit shorter. Reportedly, allegedly, supposedly. We all had this one in our top 10 films of Sundance, so you can listen to more of our thoughts in that video I mean, or podcast. It's, it's both it's of the, our quotes. The quotes that we put up. <laughs> trailer just dropped. Uh, yeah, no, enjoy this one. Coconata yeah. is Amanda, one did of you get best. to catch the trailer yet? What did you think of it? Uh, I like the trailer. I think that it, uh, yeah. yeah, I think it gives like a pretty strong representation of what you can expect going into the movie and like and markets it well for, I think, the people that are going to enjoy it. Uh, like it knows what it's doing and who it's going for. It doesn't need to try to pretend to be something mm-hmm. different to bring in a different group of people. Um, yeah, no, I'm so I'm really excited to catch this one again. Like so excited to catch this yeah. one again. I, I like the trailer because it's one of those trailers that gives me enough vibes of the movie mm-hmm. that when I feel like I'm missing the movie, I can go watch yeah. the trailer. I you know? Yeah, I get that for sure. You want a different poster? I want a different poster. I don't mind I the agree. new poster. And I know it's going to grow on me. Yeah. Poster's rough. I want. A, I just want a new poster, not a different poster. I don't want to say different. I just want a new yeah. poster because I like that original festival yeah. run poster. It was pretty. It cool. was nice. Yeah. Let's talk about happening. Directed by Audrey Diwan, it premiered at the Venice Film Festival, where it won the Golden Lion. This one follows a young woman in France in 1963 as she seeks what was at the time an illegal abortion. Amanda, this was an unflinching look into an uncomfortable reality. What did you feel while watching Happening? A lot. Like, that would just be such a horrifying reality. Um, You know, it's this girl, she has such a very firm understanding of, like, how that would change her life if she had to go through with it. And she knows it's not what she wants like maybe she'll be a mom someday but like right now she wants to finish her Mm -hmm. education she wants to get a career she knows that she's better than having to be a college dropout uh and then it's just that struggle to actually get it done and like the sheer amount of struggle she has to go through and how hard it gets yeah um, and navigating the social pressures of it too, exactly. not knowing who you can speak to. Yeah, or and, who you can trust, and, honestly, and, they're yeah. putting you in the back rooms. Yeah, and like you've got like doctors who should be helping you, and it's honestly in a lot of ways really similar to Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, where you get these doctors right. who are blatantly lying to you either because they don't know what they're talking about or because they're purposely misleading you, so that by the time you do figure out they lied to you, you go to someone else. It's too late. Um, and that's really concerning or they're doing things that are actively the opposite of what you've asked Mm. them to help with um, because they have this whole idea of what you know your responsibilities are as a woman and what's best and their own ideals and it's just really really horrifying Uh, never a situation I would ever want to be in in my entire life so (laughs) exactly yeah Yeah. I I think what you speak to is another thing that's great about it I think these period movies that are about like laws that may have been 
change or whatever. What when they work well, they can also speak to the present in a way. Yes. And I think this one does too in in like giving you a bit of advocacy for like this is this is what a lot of people think is like a better reality. And you see just how how it absolutely is not yeah. in a way that like I I'm going to reuse the word unflinching. Like it 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 is it stares at those two the scenes, things you don't yeah, want to. That were just, yeah. Just yeah. This one's also picked up by IFC Films. Mm. Yeah, it's a French film, so hopefully it's got a pretty big release. I want to say they're aiming for May, mm. so we'll see how it does. Absolutely, Neptune Frost, directed by Anissa Uzeman and Saul Williams, it debuted at the Cannes Film Festival. I'm going to say that I probably understood about ten percent of what happened. <laughs> but it was a vibe, bro. It was a vibe. Yeah. I still keep replaying that scene with that one song mm-hmm, that you, you mm-hmm. played on the road trip on the way back. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Who would have thought this would have been produced by Ezra Miller and Lee Manuel Miranda? Oh, wow. Yeah, the Ezra Miller one still has me kind of like, why? Then on there, like where <laughs> Lee Manuel kind of makes sense considering how musically inspired this mm-hmm. thing is. Yeah, and that is kind of things. One of the things that's really cool about it, 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 it's pitched as a musical, but like the way that it floats in and out of songs is is unlike any musical I've seen. That it's like songs are constantly half playing, and then sometimes they'll fully go, and then they'll they'll abruptly stop. I I, I really dug it. Although anytime I felt like I had caught up to the plot, it immediately shapeshifted into a, a like different story. It's it's really cool. It's really awesome. But I I can't tell you what was happening or why. Interest. It's interesting though. I compared yeah. it a lot to uh, another African film from last year that did the festival circuit called the one where they all tell stories to each other. In the order Night to of the, the Kings. The Night of the Kings. And it has that similar storytelling because to them, this is a musical sci-fi. Mm-hmm. So they already know that they're dealing with a, di- uh, a different type of convention in storytelling. Hmm. Um, I think, I thought it was very interesting. Yeah. I was just as confused as you were. I don't always see that as a negative thing, even though I'm sure some people will go in and be like, all right, I got the music, but so yeah. we're gonna, how many more songs are we going to do? But that's the entire kind of mode that they're going with the same way that uh, Night of the Kings was able to. Uh, and there are points where it's up front. You have mm-hmm. a character staring straight into the camera telling you mm-hmm. which te- technological companies they hate, which technology companies they hate. So uh, I am curious to revisit again. Again, it got picked up at Kino Lorber, so yeah. this is mm-hmm. definitely one of those like music box, artsy yeah. uh, theaters that's going to get the rollout. But I did not hate Neptune Frost. Yeah. It's a lot for yeah. me to comprehend at first. Mm. It's it a, very interesting. It's a movie that I didn't like watching that I still think is good, you okay. know? Um, like, I, I don't think I would recommend this to most people because it is kind of hard to, to penetrate its story. But there's there's just so much there that I don't want to say, like, it's not a worthwhile piece yeah, it's, of... it's not a bad movie. So let's go to The Worst Person in the World, directed by Joachim Trier. We've talked about this on the podcast plenty of times. It is in theaters now, at least in the U.S., uh, but Amanda didn't get to watch it fully when we had last spoken about this, and now she has caught one of 2021-slash-2022's best movies. Amanda, uh, tell us your thoughts on Worst Person in the World now that you've had a chance to see it. Oh, I love it. I knew I was going to love it, like, even though I didn't get a chance Mm -hmm. to finish it because, like, the TIFF system realized I was trying to use a VPN, but, like, I had (laughs) such a good time with this. It was so good. I love, Mm -hmm. like, different coming-of-age type stories and people navigating through relationships and, like, coming into themselves and, like, the different ways that that kind of, like, presents itself and how you end up treating people. And this is just such a solid look at that through like different stages of someone's life so i i really enjoyed it i'm really excited to watch it again even though i like just watched it so yeah it's just a delight it's a delight 
The last movie we have in the spotlight section is Three Minutes a Lengthening. This one's directed by Bianca Stiegler. It debuted at the Venice Film Festival and the Telluride Film Festival last year. And I thought this was a fascinating and powerful piece of documentary filmmaking. I talked about why in our top ten films of Sundance. I had it at number six. Mm. Um, actually, this maybe was my favorite documentary of Sundance. It's hard to keep track. That's fair. I mean, it's also kind of pitched like a film essay, yeah. which I think is very interesting. I think that's fair. It's a fair game to put in the docs uh, by Bianca and the way that she's able to extend these three minutes and to be something that's so much longer. Mm-hmm. I had compared it a lot to... Um, What's the name who did the They Will Never Grow Old? Oh, yeah, the Peter Jackson film. Right. Being able to go back and just take footage and be able to elongate it, figure out more uh, aspects yeah. and facts about the people who are in the images and what they meant to each other. Right. It's cool because it's both about the history of the place and the people, but it's also about the process of archiving mm-hmm. and like the process of researching. And it, I, I think that it covers all those aspects make it a, makes it a really full documentary. Yeah. On top of that, it's narrated by uh, Helena Bonham Carter, who I think yeah. does a really good job. I don't think we had any complaints from the no. group in terms of this narration. And it's also co-produced by Steve McQueen, yeah. all in 69 minutes. So this is one that I, I definitely want to rewatch. I know you had it really uh, struck a chord with you. Yeah, so. I, I went to see the room and cried a little bit after this one, i got to be honest. So. Um, but yeah, I think it's really, really good. So that's the uh, spotlight section. I think that... After Yang is probably my favorite here, and I think probably oh, man, but worst I person know, was in the right? section too. It's like... When I found out worst person was in the section, and we saw After Yang, my whole question the entire fest was one: How many times are we going to order Red Iguana two? But then my second one was: Is After Yang better than worst person in the world? That's tough. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, yes, it is. Really? Yeah. It I'm is. gonna need to see After Yang yeah. again to I really see it again. judge it's it. Because these are two of my After two Yang? favorite types of movies. One hundred percent. It is yes, yes. Yeah. But after Yang was on a frequency, bro, like that. Come That's on. so good. I liked it a lot. Ah. Uh. Right. Uh, I also didn't count worst person in the world uh, for my whole Sunday yeah, thing. I really don't it, know yeah. where. I'm pretty sure it would have knocked something out of my top ten. But I just want to put that. Yeah, out that's there. the same exactly. thing. It would yeah, have made my totally... top ten even without finishing it because it, I just knew it was better than some of the stuff that I was already. Yeah. Yeah, it's I had just already included in Chicago. It's so. already going to be out in theaters. By yeah. The time. Yeah. But uh, for me, my top three would be happening, and then second worst person, and then my number one is after Yang, which ends up being tied with Jesus uh, or Genius, sorry, yeah. as my uh, favorite of the festival. So that spotlight came it in, came bro. In. Yeah, it was really good, particularly good this year. Mm-hmm. In the special screening section, we somehow didn't see any of the movies here. Yeah, I think, uh, well, we were kind of confused with the rollout because we didn't realize that the special screenings were not the in-collection screenings, and I kept thinking that those were just the older screenings. And I think all of these were added after we had already made our selections. Calm down. Uh, So there was Last Flight Home. There's Phoenix Rising, which I believe is the Avon Rachel Wood one. Which will be coming to HBO in three parts, and they only had one part at Sundance. There's The American Dream and Other Fairy Tales, and then The Incredibly True Story of Two Girls in Love, which I don't know if that was like really part of the festival or just the test screening. Every year they have a test screening screening for you to be able to do the virtual stuff. So I know you can catch this one out there because this one came out in the 90s. Really dope title, too, by the way. Alina had shown me this one. They're like, they're playing this one right now. And I was like, how did I miss this movie? What a dope title. It's an older movie, uh, so you can still catch that one if possible. But these other three, I believe all three were docs, right? Yeah. So uh, I'm not sure what the rollout on these uh, is going to be. I don't know who picked up the Abigail Disney one, being the niece of Ab- of uh, Walt Disney, yeah. and looking back at what seems to be 
the most magical place on earth. I'm kind of intrigued. I don't know if it's PR or not, but it kind of up my alley. The Rachel Edmondwood one, like I said, it was only one of three. We'll be out on HBO. And then the last one you had mentioned, I actually, excuse me, uh, do you know what it's about? I, I don't remember what it's about, but uh, my friend Don had texted me and said this was his favorite film he caught all of oh, Sundance. Wow. I went and looked it up on Letterboxd. Only three people I know have rated it, and they've all given it four stars or five. Oh, wow. Wow. Damn. So maybe we got to put Last Flight Home on the radar. I thought that was like a movie from the 80s or something. Right. It turns out it's a 2022 mm-hmm. flick, so we've got to keep that one on our radar. Yeah. Uh, the Indie Episodics, I don't feel like we caught many of these i know that we we tried watching instant life but i was distracted i don't know how mm-hmm. much of it you caught uh i was able to catch the whole first part and the thing is that this is an a24 uh series that they're yeah. rolling out it is three episodes long ends up totaling in even three hours surprisingly and it is about the woman who was married to the man who invented the sea monkeys i think most people at least know what the sea monkeys are unless you bought in your own little thing he created the formula that all of this stuff then he passed away mm. So this woman, who was his wife, who was a big actress in a bunch of B-movies and such, now has to kind of like deal with this company who has stolen all the rights since 2012, has left her with no money, no electricity, no food, and she's fighting not just for the rights to be able to get the copyright back, but also fighting for the integrity of the sea monkeys. Because let me tell you, I didn't realize that when I bought Alina those sea monkeys, that they they were boonk. Yeah, I had no idea. I thought I was like, wow, this is a trash company. I did not know the backstory. A24. Yeah, I did not see the Sundance series yet. A24 has got your whole three-hour, three-episode look at Yolanda's story on the Sea Monkeys in fighting to be able to get that back. Uh, again, I want to rewatch this one. I don't know where it's going to be released, but the I found it to be pretty interesting. And the second half gets pretty crazy in terms of the, the whole back and forth that they have in terms of the lawsuits that they're giving each other. But... Uh, this was my most anticipated from the indie episodics. I know Alina had seen Cheeky, which she really she enjoyed. Yeah. Um, I know she wasn't as high on Culture Beat. Like we all kind of were a little like, what, what is this? Like what is this? <laughs> I'm not even going. Danny McBride. Brian will mention. That one, but yeah. Uh, but it's always interesting to see the indie episodics that they have going on there, as well as their new frontier, because there was some very interesting stuff that they were able to do where you're no longer going. Obviously, I wasn't in person this year um, and like testing out the different VR stuff. But because you have the stuff at home, if you have your Oculus, you can technically do a lot of these, uh, if not from your VR system, but from your computer. So they had the surrogate one, which was about what happens if you felt like you had a womb. Newgrams, which was like AR is on your phone and you could film anything at any point in time. The dream in my bones. Zach, get this. It's about dream data in an unidentified skeleton. If you find a skeleton, can you get the dream data out of its bones, bro? Uh, some really just crazy stuff that they had all around. Sugar, a VR Atlantic slave trade movie where you feel what it was like to be on there. They're That's getting crazy. insane with VR. I have always said it's the future. Uh, we'll get there when we're in the future then. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I guess those aren't features, but still part of the Sundance catalog that we did want to cover. And One day we'll be the, the catalog, bro. We're going to have a VR in the U.S. dramatic. Yeah. You bet. Uh, and then let's do a brief detour into the kids section. There are only two movies in the kids section. This is usually the, the thinnest in the Sundance I don't catalog. think I've ever seen more than three. Mm. Yeah, and, and honestly, like it's usually the weakest section of the catalog. There's, mm-hmm. It's always a bunch of like not-so-great movies. So why'd you love Summering? <laughs> uh, we will get to summering, but I do want to talk about the movie that I preferred from the kids section, which is Micah. Micah's good. Micah's 
kind of delightful. It's movie. decent, yeah. yeah. Directed by Ham Tron. It's about uh, after a wit- after witnessing a meteor shower, an eight-year-old Hong investigates what he thinks is a fallen meteor and instead meets a new friend. I kind of think that if I was eight years old and spoke Vietnamese, this would be my favorite movie of all time. I speak Vietnamese, but I'm nine years old, <laughs> and I thought it was very enjoyable. I thought it was a really good look at like this friendship that just sparks up. I thought the way that the characters react to each other. I thought the, both kids were really good, really but the fun. main kid in particular, I was just like, he had these really funny reactions to scenarios that they were putting him, and I was like, yeah, his facial expressions were spot on. Uh, I thought it was really cute, and some really goofy uh, like CGI that they did, because technically they're like pod racing at the <laughs> yeah. beginning, so you're, but, but with drones, so you're following these drones, and they look as fake as can be. But while we're laughing at how goofy it looks, it's also kind of like really creative. Yeah, and if it, if I was eight years old, I you would not would be judging the yeah, CGI. Yeah, that's so, so cool. They're that's, racing drones. Yeah. Yeah, and it it just there's so many of those pleasures and those they have these like fun push-ins on like somebody doing a funny face. Yeah, it, it, it was fine. There's enough fart jokes to go around. Mm-hmm. Like, look, this is not. There was a decent fart joke. Yeah, we're not comparing this really to. To happening or to fire of love. No, I go on Twitter, Micah. <laughs> exactly. It's 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 a kids movie, and provided that you like, if Netflix picks this up and dubs it, it's going to be number one trending at some at point. some point. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. yeah. The other section in or selection in the kids section is summering. This one is directed by James Ponsolt, who I may remind you did Smashed, The Spectacular Now, and The End of the Tour. That's All James movies Bond. that I think had really good press coming oh, out of tr- Sundance. I didn't, yeah. I didn't know he did Spectacular Now. That kind of tracks. Oh, nah. That's like, yeah, that's his big one. That's another one that's kind of um, like, yeah, this guy's doing a bunch of shit that you're not acknowledging. Not so sure about. You don't like Spectacular Now? I do, but I just... I can't remember. Doesn't he just like drink and drive the entire time in Spectacular yep. Now? And I'm like, what are we doing here, guys? Like... Like, uh, so yeah, it's fine. The, the film Summering is about the last days of summer before a group of friends to start middle school. These four friends discover a dead body. <laughs> On Letterboxd, this is the lowest rated film of the film festival. More than Sharpstick? Further down than Sharpstick. Damn. But Amanda, is that low rating justified? I think this is another one like Alice where we saw all the negative reviews and kind of went into it expecting it to be a lot worse than it ended up being. I think this is a tonally inconsistent mess in terms of like what age it seems to be aiming itself at. He says it's for his daughter. It's a bunch of middle schoolers, but it seems like it goes way darker than even like Stand By Me. And I wouldn't necessarily get like eight year olds to watch Stand By Me either. So like or like 13, like 10 year olds to watch Stand By Me. It's like, it's for some reason he really wanted the conflict to hinge on this dead body, but then the way the characters react to it makes no sense. And I can't get past that because kids are dumb, but they're not that dumb. Like this is insulting to children's intelligence, what's happening a lot of the time in the movie. And I think that there was definitely a better way. If that's the way he wanted to tell the story, they had to have some kind of other aspect introduced for why the kids would just not immediately do the most logical thing at any given point, because mm-hmm. there is no reason not to. Um, a lot of what it's doing, I get it. It's got that kind of like end of summer vibe and like people kind of coming into themselves and how like kids 
like relate and things that are going to change and, and like there are different struggles in life. But then there's just this whole thing that's like, this is so fucking stupid. I can't get past it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, Amanda would stop her edit and be like, why would you touch? And yeah, then, exactly. Literally, I would be like, why? Yeah, like literally, I was just like, na 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 What the fuck? <laughs> You know, it's like, it's not the trash fire that I think a lot of people are making it out to be. It, it, it is a complete mess tonally, and like there's, I think it's ultimately... But you're not going to defend it, yeah. yeah. It's undone by the lack of logic that its characters have in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. But I think by the end, there's just some sweetness there that I actually kind of responded yeah. to. Like, I think ultimately it is kind of about how you will never be as close to your friends as when you were 12 years old. You no, know that's I mean? fair, yeah. And I think that's kind of cute, but it just, it doesn't really cohere and what what are the supernatural elements and like superpowered things happening mm-hmm. there's a, yeah there's a whole element of there's it like that, a couple there's I, one I good really gather. good funny scene though like one thing happens and it's you've seen it in a bunch of movies before but the execution in this i thought was like it was pretty fun all right so let's talk about the short films for a second here we're not going to get into all 59 of the short films that played sundance but we did have a few favorites i know alina had covered Pretty much every She said she saw film. every single one. I know That's this crazy. year they also had a um, anniversary section, so there was a lot of anniversary stuff that right. came in. We were able to see uh, Spider. Spider, Bear, and Venture. Shark. Yeah, yeah which was uh, brother of Joe Edgerton, yeah. in case you don't I know. I liked Shark. That was probably, I mean, didn't see a lot of the shorts, but that might Shark be was decent, but Spider's still the best one out yeah. of the three. It's, yeah. it's his little trilogy that he had, but uh, Alina was able to see a bunch of these, and I was able to catch some. You know, we saw War Show, I think you just saw it right before yeah, we started recording. I thought that was a film. beautiful looking film about a dude who ends up finding refuge as he goes all the way up uh, in this crane where nobody is there to judge him. But it's also, it was shot with the same technology that they used for The Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. I swore they shot up there. So <laughs> right. shout out to them. They knew what they were doing. Uh, Meal on the Plate was this kind of uh, animated film where the characters actually became what they were eating. So I had some really interesting things going with it. But I believe Alina's top five, and three of these would also be mine. Uh, number five would have been Hallelujah. It takes place in Compton oh, yeah. where yeah. two, I want to say, uncles are taking care of their kid mm-hmm. uh, or, the, or their nephew. And the nephew's trying to argue why black people should be able to commit suicide too. It is an option. <laughs> and they're like, what are you talking about? Uh, we really uh, enjoyed the Meet the Artist for this because he's like, look, I shot this in my backyard, literally. That's my backyard that you see on the screen. <laughs> and he was just making it to make a movie. Yeah. He didn't even know Sundance existed. He said, no offense, Sundance, <laughs> but I didn't know you existed. That's I awesome. thought it was a, a pretty good little short dramedy, I guess, if you want to call it mm-hmm. that, that she had in her top five. I would as well. Precious Hair and Beauty. This which one was really cool. We saw this one together and we were just like, what are we watching? You pretty much have a still, right, yeah. of an African <clears throat> hair shop. Uh, I'm not exactly sure where this takes place, but you see the street view, and there'll be a couple who's passing by and complaining with each other, and two other people who are arguing with each other. I'm not even going to spoil where it goes, but it's a very interesting story of what you think is a mundane little yeah. shop. It's one of those films where the pacing of it is completely unlike anything you've seen before. Like, the way in which it dispenses its story, it... it 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 matches no convention. It's completely Nothing. of its own. It was a it was a really 
Really fun short to watch. Precious Hair and Beauty, so yeah. catch that one. Uh, we had it as drama, but we don't even know it, to call that one a drama, which is a good thing. Uh, there was the comedy Daddy's Girl about a young woman char- who's charming but overbearing father helps her move out of her wealthy older boyfriend's apartment. I got to catch this one with Lena as well. It is very interesting to see how... Uh, they bond together as father and daughter, especially after the reason that she was dumped or broken up, if I should say. It was a pretty funny one. I'd put that one on your radar. My favorite, uh, which ends up being Alina's number two, was this short. I don't know if you got to catch this one. I think you were in the kitchen when this happened. Uh, and I may have a link for this one, so I'll send it to you. Stranger than Rotterdam. I didn't see this one. This one, uh, award of some kind. With Sarah Driver, yes. This is about uh, 1982, the completion of Jim Jarmusch's sophomore film, Stranger Than Paradise. Whoa. Hinge on producer, producer Sarah Driver's willingness and ability to smuggle one of the world's rarest and most controversial films across the Atlantic Ocean. It is told through stop motion little cutouts. That's so cool. Their Meet the Artist was them going through their office and all the cutout things that they had. They're like, oh, look, that's scene five. And they pull out the scene. I loved it. I thought this was fantastic. This uh, 100% would be my pick of the newest uh, shorts that they had in here. But Alina has the short comedy You Go Girl as her number one. Audrey, a New York City comedian who can make a joke of any situation, faces a staggering challenge in the beautiful mountains of Oregon. Can this city woman overcome her fears and rise? Hmm. So, uh, a lot of really good docs. I'm sure there's some even older ones uh, that I would have put on my radar. I also thought the Panola Project uh, was a doc that we really liked. So, pretty decent with the with the shorts as well. Nice. Yeah, there's always interesting shorts that come out of the festival and uh, continue. Some to may even be a feature. You never know. So. Right. Yeah. Some might be the next Sundance features. So, always fun to ca- uh, catch films in the shorts section. Let's move on to the next section. Some of the daring, forward-looking, innovatively structured next cinema. Yes, sir. Uh, first film in first two films here are ones that we did not get to see: *The Cathedral*, directed by Ricky D. Ambrose, and then *A Love Song*, directed by Max Walker Silverman. Unfortunately, yes. Yeah. Reached out to both. Didn't really hear much. Cathedral being an experimental drama that's like, what if we focus on a president told her story through his microphone? <laughs> They're like, what if we captured the cup? Yeah. Um, I'm still kind of interested in that yeah. one, but I know you got, I think you saw a little bit of it. It did not seem like it was going to go yeah, too I mean, much. They, they gave us a screener that expired like five minutes after it started. I, I hate when they do that. And a love song said that they were too big to give it out uh, with that being the story. It, this is literally how they're pushing it. So what if we took side actors who have always been like character actors and made them the lead but didn't send you the screening how would that feel (laughs) so that kind of got buried under the radar but if you've seen any of these films put uh let us know your thoughts on them but we were able to catch all five of the other ones including every day in kaimuki this one is a mood bro by alina tengon about Nas and his girlfriend sloan who get a chance to move from oahu to New York City and begin to prepare while wondering if they're making the right decision. Yeah, this one is kind of a mood. You know, he he is a radio DJ in the movie, so a lot of the film is him playing music or them listening to music while they go and skateboard around different mm-hmm. locations in Hawaii. And you know, it got it has this kind of mumblecore aesthetic in that it's not very like plot heavy. It's kind of just people hanging out, Chilling. having conversations, and doing it at very like 
lower tones, you know? It's, it's very, very introspective. Oh, I kind of dug it, bro. It kinda, I dug there's it a too. vibe with it a little yeah. bit, yeah. Uh, her name's also Alika Tengan. She had a short on the Criterion Collection oh, yeah. that's known as Molokai Bound. So I know with this taking place in Hawaii, that's definitely something that uh, they've centered their stories around a lot. So. Um, I know we still have a link for this one. This is one that I want to rewatch because I was editing while you were watching it. And I was just like, look up and I was like, yo, this is yeah. kind of like a, di- I didn't even recognize the songs. It's just, I believe this is also shot in a different aspect ratio. Yeah, so you were, yeah, you were like really focused in on it. And I don't know It this felt like literally not to be cliche, but vibes the movie yeah. out of all the ones. It was cool. Also pitches a music drama. So uh, next up is Framing Agnes, which was directed by Chase Joint. This was the big winner at Sundance. In fact, the only film, as far as I know... Does he say Chase Joint? This is a Chase Joint? It should be a Chase Joint. He should right? be saying this is a Chase Joint. <laughs> this is a Chase Joint Joint. The Chase Joint Joint, yeah. yeah. Uh, winner of the Next Innovator Award and the winner of the Audience Award for Next. A little surprised that it picked up both of these. Uh, yeah. It's a documentary that recreates interviews from the 1960s with various trans figures and also explores the behind the scenes of its own making, which is kind of an interesting structure. Why it, I like that. Why it is in the next section? Yeah, it's I, it's like it's in a body of what the body is supposed to be kind of thing, which yeah. is really smart for a trans uh, story that that's trying to get very introspective on the history of it. I just felt like ultimately the balance was a bit off. I thought the talking heads made no sense. Yeah. And we're both really surprised that this won an audience one when you can look online and see what people are thinking. Again, another reason why I bring up Navaldi because I was like, I ain't seen people talk about it that way. Yeah. Same thing on IMDb and Letterboxd for this one and Twitter where I'm very surprised that this ended up being the one that got the most attention out of Next. Yeah. Especially with a story like this, I tried to point towards like critics from the community and, and their thoughts on it and I saw a lot of reviews from trans people on Letterboxd who were like this movie doesn't really work in the ways that it's trying to I felt like personally just watching it they were so focused on what they were doing in the modern day that it kind of took away from the actual really no literally historical stuff. literally yeah yeah because it's a bunch of uh, audio tapes or, or transcripts that they've had that they then hire people to recreate it mm-hmm. but they don't just show you the recreation they show you the rehearsal of the recreation then the recreation then the interview with then the, the interview with the recreator and yeah. then a breakdown about like well what's your story and yeah not all of them work mm-hmm. uh, there's a very interesting talk that they get into it about like is visibility even the most important thing? Mm-hmm. Is there a point where being invisible actually gives you more? And I'm like, okay, you may be getting into something interesting, but then they're like, so maybe let's not listen to black trans people? And I'm like, <laughs> where did that become a thing? It's a lot going on in one thing, and I don't even want to call out one of the people talking, being like, what are you talking about? I think it's very much saying, can people have different perspectives? And in saying that, it gets more muddled up than they think it does it's too much of a spectrum Mm -hmm. but it was a very interesting concept to have yeah the almost like nesting doll i don't want to like throw away the movie because there's there's stuff in there that's cool but it just ultimately didn't add up i I will say what my thing is uh with it being a doc within a doc within a doc within an interview within a rehearsal whatever it is there are points where you're at the like last layer Mm -hmm. and it doesn't feel like you're at the last layer it feels like that layer's rehearsed and i'm like now this is supposed to be the authentic one why does this feel like y'all rehearsed it the same way you did the aspect ratioed reenactment that was my thing a little bit 
Let's talk about Mija, directed by Isabel Castro, which follows a music talent manager and an aspiring young singer, both from Mexican-American families, who balance the pressure of success in the music industry with the uncertainty around the future of their undocumented family members. Art, I think this is competing in the next section because the documentary does a couple of like baton passes in terms of who it's focusing on. Because like ultimately, it didn't really feel like it's fictional to me. I think this is straight nonfiction. It's a straight up doc based off two artists who are one hundred percent real. Jacks hopped who is the secondary one, and then... Ah, Kuko was the first one. Kuko was the first yeah. one. These are both real artists, mm -hmm. how she deals with the first one. That doesn't work out, so now she's like worried, how am I supposed to take care of my family unless I hire somebody else? And the next artist ends up being someone who's almost paralleling her story in that they are both, you know, the representative, the manager, and the artist from America. Let's say from America. They have papers. Yeah. Their families don't. That's actually not why it's in the next category. It's in the next category because they said cheese quesadillas. <laughs> a, a quesadilla already has cheese. <laughs> you ever go to the you ever go to the ATM machine? <laughs> then you ain't never had a cheese quesadilla. Right. Uh, no, it's a, I don't know why it's in the next category. I, I that saw that kind of like baton passy thing because like that's not enough. The, it's it's not enough. But we've seen this again and again. I liked like, it, but that's not enough. They, sometimes they like to put stuff that's only like maybe a little bit. Like what was that one? Um, the first date last mm. year. That was like why is that even in next? Yeah. Yeah. Why was that even a Sundance? That was South yeah, by Yes, it was very but South to me, next and needs to end up being that one that Alina liked, where you actually had it be half documentary, half yeah. uh, narrative. What was that one called? Uh, what? By Heidi Uwig, I want to say her name was, and where you had the Mexican couple who really loved each other, and then he went to become a chef. Oh yeah, it got yeah, picked yeah, up yeah. by Sony Pictures Classic. Uh, that would be one shoot. where you actually have a hybrid of I the two. I carry you with me. That to me is is a proper mm -hmm. next movie in the way that it's trying to figure that out. This really was a doc. It's a music doc. Even Spree. It's a music like, doc. Like if we're talking like next, it at least fits into like. No, yeah, you're right. Spree was great. Like you're 100. I think I think Searching was considered yeah, next as I well. Agree. I'm like totally. No offense to Searching. I I get why it's here, but it feels like every year they want a. A screen yeah. movie? Uh, didn't get one this year. Not. We did not get one this year. Whoa! I, when we have an archive one. An archive one? That's not really a screen. That's not a screen, you're right. Yeah. Um, Miha, just to stick with this for a second, quickly got a reputation as the, the tearjerker of Sundance 2022. I think and it got most of us. Yeah, there are several scenes near the end that are very much aiming for the heartstrings. Caitlin, I know, was, said like she cried several times just at the end of that movie mm -hmm. alone. So, I mean, it's definitely effective in that way. Yeah, I know I'm being critical out of it, but it's still in my top two from the next category. I have that and what you'll be mentioning in a bit. With third being... Riotsville. I wanted to love this one way more. Yeah, directed by Sierra Pettengill. It focuses on the unearthed military training footage from an army-built model town called Riotsville, where military and police uh, forces were trained to respond to domestic civil disorder. Art this sort pulls from all sorts of archival footage, but how interested were you in the material in the documentary no nah, i was looking forward to this one a lot because i had seen uh her previous short the rifleman at sundance i thought she did a fantastic job at just going through the nra footage like she's really good at that like the first thing she does is like watch this bit mm -hmm. so this is just from them right this one begins with so this is all usa sanctioned footage mm -hmm. let's go mm -hmm. and that's what the whole thing is supposed to be and i wish she would have kept it like that there is a narrator yeah, a little bit too much. 
I thought the narrator was a little bit too much because the whole pitch for this movie is that it's all archived and you're like, how are you going to do it? Right. How are you not going to talk? O- you talk over it. Yeah. I think it would have been really cool. You just cut that. And it's not so much that it's guiding you. Well, I guess it's the fact that it's guiding you. It's not like connecting one point to another point. It's also telling you what to think about right. these two points. It's and not I, letting you put together the points. When you are seeing this footage... And it just speaks to you in the sense of like, oh, so they recreated everything in Riotsville. They built up how the riot is supposed to go. You start thinking like, how many of these riots are actually done by real people or it's not instigated to be that? You start seeing the coverage of who they had there with ABC News being there. Those are when it's not answering to you anything in your face. It's just showing it to you and letting you come up with the idea of why are they not just extending it to this point? Where does it stop actually being what it was supposed to be? a town that's meant to do drills and when is the entire drill just practice and rehearsal for what's about to happen exactly it's a fascinating movie but like yeah i i think it, it, in the construction of it it didn't i might like it more it in a rewatch yeah because yeah. i i don't hate it and the more the time passes by there's still stuff i respect about it and, i want that narration gone yeah i think we both obviously it, it feels like a theo anthony documentary and i think theo anthony also theo. makes documentaries that are maybe harder to absorb at first. So yeah. I agree with you. Revisit but he doesn't hold your hand, though. Yeah, that's That's true. the one thing. And I think she's really good at that because she didn't do it with the Rifleman. And I put Sierra up there with the Theo. That's how much faith I have in her. Quote from this one. You didn't lie, but you did play with the truth. <laughs> good one, good one. All right, let's wrap up the next section with Something in the Dirt. Co-directed, co-written, co-edited, and co-starred. Aaron Moorhead, two neighbors living in the Hollywood Hills who witness something impossible and seek to better understand it, maybe document it. I had this at number three on my top ten films of Sundance. I think you are both fans of the film. My as number well. eleven. Mm-hmm. I just feel like you need to be more a fan of them in order to understand this. Yeah, Go for yeah. it. Um, th- uh, I think this would have been my winner for the next Innovator Award if I could have chosen one instead of. Uh, framing Agnes. I've taken on all my bias. I feel the same way. How yeah. is it not? It's it's you know got that. It's mm-hmm. a COVID, this is another one of those COVID, COVID movies, movies that doesn't really feel like a COVID movie because it's basically just the two of them. There are a couple like cutaway interview things happening, but like it's it's pretty contained and uh-huh. it's also got this awesome meta thing yeah. happening, which is well they they're kind of like making best friends who have made their movies together the entire time so now this is a movie about their friendship that actually uses footage of their friendship and them as kids and the likes Mm -hmm. that they did that got them into sci-fi to begin with so this is two directors talking about their characters who loved growing up with sci-fi which they did that they put into a movie come on you know you know these are all the conversations that they've had with each other they name drop every secret society possible It's under the Silver Lake. Yeah. Right. It, it, this, this to me, is the definition of, like, the stoner talk. Movie, yeah. Right? Like, they, they, you get into all those rabbit hole conversations and all those deep dives in such a fun way. Um, Amanda, oh. this one has not been picked up for distribution. I don't yet. get it, huh? Is there a company that you feel like this Disney. would be a good fit Disney for? Plus. Netflix? <laughs> this is probably well, a well, Netflix, because Netflix has picked up their other it's... stuff, so I feel like this will probably... Other than Good that, point. like Amazon Prime, it feels like one of those. Do you remember the line? What? Besides everything that we just covered, they have a whole line as filmmakers making fun of how the industry <laughs> yeah. works. And they 
argue that if they filmed this, would they be able be able to sell it to Netflix? Yeah, they do. And then they get like, all the rights, and they go, I don't know, that seems kind of low. Because that's why Netflix watched them like chronics for Netflix, and it's so smart. Yeah, I don't know. There's so much to like in this, but I do feel that a lot of the cleverness comes with some some backstory, some some extra yeah, some extra knowledge that you need to know in order. You can't just go into this and get it. I think you need to know who the two guys are. I think you can go into this and get it. I don't think you have as deep of an appreciation as maybe we do, but I still think there's enough. That's of my just thing, yeah. Them going back and forth, that's fun. I hope so. I just I wonder how much of it is niche to what you and I were enjoying. Yeah. So yeah. I'm a little worried about that, but hey, if you have more faith in it then I want to as well. Yeah. I think this could be a hit on Netflix. I like Amanda's <sighs> idea. And if y'all are yeah. fans of their previous movies, they put every Easter egg under the damn book into this one, man. It's so good. You heard me, I just go going <laughs> the flower, yeah. Yeah. the thing from the endless. They, they put the word endless often so often in this movie. They know what they're doing. Yeah. It's really, really And cool. I really mess with that because I'm really big on filmmakers taking the check and then still making a movie like this, and they're doing it. So y'all swear that this is a goodbye. Uh, so did Alina. And I refuse it. I did an exorcism to remove that from the house. <laughs> I, I didn't want anyone speaking those words. Um, this better not be the ending to them. I really hope it's not. It should be the ending to a chapter in their yeah. lives. Uh, but it does almost come off like these two saying goodbye. Yeah, saying goodbye at least to an indie style of filmmaking. Screw that, bro. They yeah. just got the the, Men's, the the Moorhead and Benson logo mm-hmm. ready. Yeah. So I expect more. You'll find more in Moon Knight. <laughs> My top three would have been Riotsville, Miha, Something in the Dirt, which also wraps up my 11th spot overall. I'd go uh, from this category... Every day in Kaimuki, Riotsville, and then, yeah, something in the dirt, number one. Pretty good. I only saw two in this, so <laughs> it's something in the dirt. It's my number so, one, then Miha. Yes. Nice. All right, so our last category before we wrap it all up is the midnight section, the the blood and gore and, and all the Everything. depravity that you can imagine. All the rock music yeah. <laughs> the strokes oh, <laughs> New York bathrooms still don't get that right, one that one makes no damn sense to <laughs> me none of us do yeah let's talk about Babysitter first this one is directed by Monia Chokri it is a French Canadian screwball sex comedy about a middle aged sexist who gets suspended from work his long suffering girlfriend who he gets stuck at home with his sensitive brother with whom he decides to write a book and the young provocative babysitter that they hire to look after their constantly crying baby Amanda did you enjoy the satirical stylings of babysitter I like parts of it I think it started stronger yeah. than it ended in ways like I feel like there's just mm-hmm. certain areas where it would just really drop off and then pick up again and then drop off and then go in a I direction agree. I didn't expect it yeah. to go um, I think that there's a way to tighten this up so that it like really delivers but yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's based on a play, and I kind of imagine the energy in the room when you're watching it as a play might carry you a little bit more. Okay. Um, like, it, there's just sort of like a pacing issue, right? Yeah. With, with this movie, where there's some parts that are really fun and really satirical, and I get, I get the kind of like, like woke, uh, woke uh, presenting, the, the woke presentation of yourself that it's going for in certain mm-hmm. moments, but then there's other parts where it just kind of feels like it's sitting on a joke for way too long. I think it's the content. I yep. see what you're saying. This is a French film, or Canadian-French. French-Canadian. Canada-France, right? It's 
titled as a screwball surrealist story. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I feel like they're trying to make an American film in a culture that's not American. Mm. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I can vibe That's that. what I feel that they were missing. Like, they're not as provocative as they think they are. Maybe they're provocative for France. Yeah. But it was not really as provocative right. as we thought. Or even more than that, they thought that they're doing something provocative. And I feel like in France, they just would not care. Mm-hmm. Or, or in a French setting in their own culture. Right. It, it's. I think some of the material is a little bit provocative, but at least what they're talking about. But in terms of content, like, it's not the, it's not the crazy sexual exploits that matches the kind of wackiness I thought this they... was going to be like mother schmuckers yeah <laughs> you know to like that degree of like damn they went there mm-hmm. I don't think they ever go there or even something like even something more tame like the overnight mm. right sure yeah. like, I don't think okay. anything wants Which... to be mother schmuckers like <laughs> yeah, nothing wants to be Mother Schmuckers, but in the sense of like it being so out there to use like the word surrealist or screwball, yeah. I think they were goofy. Yeah, I goofy. think they were a little over the top. But uh, the one thing that saves this movie is I really like the cinematography. They had some yeah. very interesting like lens mirrored shots. Yeah. So it didn't really look like they were split. On, on, on the camera, it looked like they were almost a reflection of a lens flare. I don't yeah. know how to describe also, it. Also, like the, the expressions were certain ways. That, yeah, they, this was a movie that was much more well shot than I think you'd expect from a screwball sex comedy. Yeah, the, so the I'll put it there. I just I did not care for the dudes. Yeah, I thought there was some fun material in there, but again, it's, it, it's Al- uneven. Alina and, liked it. Yeah. yeah, so I just I don't hate it. Just not on my top. Yeah, it's it just very okay yeah. to me. Gets lost in the mix of everything. Uh, there's also Fresh in the Midnight Section, directed the by biggest. Amy Cave. We recorded an After Sundance review that you can find, whether you're watching our YouTube channel or listening to our podcast, just check the feed. Sebastian Stan definitely needed to check the feed on this movie. <laughs> Hatching, directed by Hannah Burkholm. Hammer should have. <laughs> Inspiring tween gymnast trying to please her image-obsessed mom, finds a strange egg in a bird's nest and brings it... Art, what's cracking about Hatching? I love this movie. Uh, Hannah had a short called Puppet Master, and I will tell you, she finally got a budget to to do a whole feature, and the, uh, not necessarily animatronics, but the puppetry. Mm. This is so out of left field, but if you saw Willy's Wonderland, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like the puppetry in Willy's Wonderland into this Finnish home mother-daughter type of uh, drama, also picked up by IFC Films. I... Kind of love everything I've seen picked up, dude. Yeah. This is my favorite Midnight. Yeah, same. I don't know why I can't shake it off. I have the two that are right oh, underneath yeah, it. I think you have one more a little bit above, right? Yeah. Um, but I loved the, uh, I don't want to call them prosthetics, but the practical effects that they yeah. had with the, you know, the bird that is hatching that she's taking care of. Mm-hmm. I haven't even fully gone deep into uh, anything past the body horror mm-hmm. element of it, but I... I really do like the dynamic between yeah. the mom and the daughter and, and you know, just what they have between yeah. each other, uh, especially with how obsessed the mom is about how everything comes off yeah. for her. You know, she's very image obsessed. But I don't know. This one was at the top. We were. This was another late night one where I just couldn't keep my eyes off the screen and I was not dozing off. Like, I was tired as could be, but I'm like, what, what is she possibly going to do next? How yeah. disgusting is this going to get? And to me, for a midnight movie, this delivered on every aspect of it. I think it's a decent enough story. Mm-hmm. I think they go well over the top on the gore, horror, all that stuff. Uh, and I think they have a, a bunch of memorable scenes. So yeah. IFC had a really good pickup with this one. Only 86 minutes long. Put in Raider. I'm like the opposite perspective yeah, I... here. Sorry for cutting you off, Zach. Okay. You can go. Sorry. No. 
I, I was just going to say that I, I kind of agree with Yeah, that. I knew you guys yeah. did. I think my takeaway when it was done was all like, I could have gone to sleep an hour and a half ago, was kind of my thought. <laughs> I really do like the aspect of the mom and the daughter relationship did not mm. mess with the actual like that the hatching aspect like and and to be i'll be completely honest i am very selective in what i enjoy from like monsters in movies and it has to hit in a certain Mm -hmm. way otherwise i just don't care i don't enjoy it i don't like looking at it so like the thing for me great perfect amazing um but then like not huge on godzilla love jurassic park yeah i know you love godzilla man i know godzilla's all up in your business i don't know that's just something like it doesn't which godzilla I haven't seen all of them. I'm just like, in general, like the first, like the, uh, the 2014 Godzilla was like decent, but it's not something I'm ever going to watch again. I don't think. I'm going to send you a 4k 1999 Godzilla by rolling. I have seen that one again. I don't know. It's just not my thing. I, I like humans. I like human. Yeah, I guess. And I like things that focus more on that. This did, this did actually have a really big focus on like humanity and, what it means to be like an individual and all that kind of stuff. But like, I don't know, there's just something, it just, for me, it's not my type of movie. So just to offer the opposite perspective, this did not hit for yeah. me. So it just kind of depends on what you're into. Great performance. That girl, yeah, I, amazing performance. She's solid. She's really, really good. I, I hear you on that. I will say though, for the creature feature aspects of it, is like, I think a lot of times horror films tend to revert to the same few types of creatures Mm -hmm. that we are familiar with and even if you maybe have like a design for a different type of zombie or a design for a different type of slasher like you're still getting similar elements yeah i don't think i've quite seen something like this. i definitely not that that was also a little bit exciting yeah about about hatching it's so gross it's gross i i dug it um yeah maybe maybe not like uh like the most innovative horror film but a satisfying one yeah i saw some people comparing it to ginger snaps which i do love that's one of my favorite (laughs) horror movies um which is basically like jennifer's body at the same time and this does have a lot of those similar dynamics so i think it is worth checking out if you're into those type of movies but for some reason just something about it didn't hit for me even though those other two movies are like two of my favorites so Uh, well, I just lost my outline. Uh, We've got the one that I don't think we even consider. Yeah, why is this in this category? Meet Me in the Bathroom, the documentary based on the book of the same name. This one is directed by Dylan Southern and Will Lovelace. It's a documentary about the New York rock scene in the early 2000s following bands like The Strokes, Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, Interpol, The Multi Peaches, and LCD Sound System. Everybody. Yeah, this is a documentary that's trying to cover several interesting bands all at once. Um, Amanda, did you think that worked? I think in some ways it did. I don't think this is the type of documentary mm-hmm. you watch if you're not kind of at least familiar with these bands or into them. It's not really going to give you Probably. this really in-depth background to any particular band or like what their experience. It really is just like the slice of the time and what was going on. And it's just using all of that like footage from back then and like framing it around that era going into 9-11, how different bands blew up out of the scene, which ones did, which ones didn't. Um, Some really cool, um, like, not-before-seen footage, like, just entirely uncut footage from the Maps video, from the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. 
uh, like Karen's specific experience as a female musician, I thought was all really interesting. Uh, like the struggle that Julian Casablanca's had kind of like adjusting to fame and how popular the strokes got really quickly. And then just how like petulant James from LCD sound system is the whole time. I'm like, I don't want this man to become famous, but I know he's already there and the music's great. But like the way he reacts to people, I'm like, how did this man get anything? I didn't realize that that was the guy from LCD sound (laughs) system until like way too late in the movie when Zach goes yes this is the music video that he did I was like wait, 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 wait. I didn't want to say anything I was like I thought that guy was just an yeah I thought he was like a guy being like I'm doing this project because I couldn't make my project work back I thought in he was an AD bro that, that's his charm yeah. he does not look like he should be a rock star or he doesn't behave like he Damn. is one like but yeah babes yeah. like it um, that, that, no, yeah, I think that's sort of what you're talking about is, is what is good about Meet Me in the mm-hmm. Bathroom. It's not going to be the Strokes yeah. documentary mm-hmm. or the behind the scenes on how LCD the sound system rose to mm-hmm. fame. But it, it's a picture of a scene mm-hmm. and of a place and of a vibe. Like it really gives you kind of like the feeling of what it was like to be around these bands as they were blowing up and as this type of music was was blowing up. And I, I think that aspect of it was cool. You know, it kind of showed how all the musicians congregated on the Lower East Side and then moved to Brooklyn and then got priced out of Brooklyn and moved away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a whole arc to that that's interesting. And I like. I think I like it more as a documentary about New York City than I do as a documentary about that's music. That's fair. It feels like a trailer Yeah. for the actual yeah. movie. I liked mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. It feels like a trailer yeah. for what you're actually supposed to get. Book. It's a trailer for the dope. book, really. Yeah, because yeah, it, it definitely skimmed out on everything. It realized don't even try mm-hmm. to encompass it all in 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. Literally 90 yeah. minutes. Right? Straight? If I'm not, Oh, sorry, 105. A little bit more than that. But you're not going to be able to capture the whole thing. The book itself needs to be a series. Yeah, I was going to say. As a movie, yeah. I, I, this is probably the best way to cover a movie and just have it kind of be like the, the teasing aspect of, like, here's a little buffet of everything. Um, but I thought it was good. But I can definitely see people not liking it because they want more. And I, and I also think that's fair. And look, so we were listening to a little bit of the audiobook on our, our way to Sunday. It's bonkers. Yeah, and there's so many cool details in there. But also, like, having listened to the audiobook, I saw the moments in the movie where they they were kind of struggling to recreate moments, right? And it's better for a book. It, it, it works a little bit better in the oral history format of the book. Because, like, I also think they didn't get all the interviews they wanted to recreate. So there's some stuff that's, like, on scraggly phone yeah. conversations and stuff some stuff that's like really great audio fidelity I don't know it still is an enjoyable movie and talks about a lot of people and bands and places that I care about a lot so I, I found it interesting the way we broke it down was the book is the book mm. this movie is just going to be they could still do a series yeah. they just realized that the best thing the movie can do is use its time to not recreate the book, but to just show you what they couldn't do in the book, which was here is the whole uncut of maps. Here is the whole uncut <laughs> of something else. And I, yeah. I think and that's that, really smart. That was also what's good about the movie is that like they did have a lot of good footage to pull from. And they they knew what to rely on. Yeah. You know what? They had talking heads that were voiceover, like we were talking mm-hmm. about. Which is really nice. Yeah, they do a good job with it. So I still think they could make the series. And yeah. it would be no problem. That's, yeah. to me, the best way to expand IP. Get your book, get your this, get this. And what can you best expose from the medium itself? Uh, so the, the movie did what it needed to do, yeah. in my opinion. I guess it's here in Midnight because there's, like, no. some nudity in no. the movie no. and like, no. a bit of drug use. No. And no. You, no. no. 
I, it's like <laughs> somebody was like, oh shit, list. we put this on the lo- on the wrong list, but we've already sent the list out, so we're committing. Navalny should be a midnight more than there should be. And you know yeah. it? Master no. should be. No. Who, who almost got killed? Who almost got killed in this? Navalny almost got murdered. He was poisoned three who? times. Oh. oh, did he? He was poisoned three times. Like, that sounds like a midnight to me. <laughs> Let's move on to Piggy, directed by Carlota Pereira, a a Spanish film. This is about Sarah, an overweight teenager and target of nonstop torment, who stumbles upon her bullies being kidnapped by a strange man. When the police start to investigate, Sarah keeps quiet, intrigued by the stranger, who might be intrigued by her as well. Amanda, did Piggy deliver on those midnight thrills? I think so. Yeah, this is like, that's that quirky midnight one that's going to be like the slasher vibe and then the kind of like, Mm -hmm. maybe not necessarily the direction you're expecting it to go um, on a lot of levels. Like every time you think you know what she's going to do, she kind of like, she does something new and you just kind of understand that it really Mm -hmm. is. It's like, she's a teenager. She's dealing with trauma of years of abuse and isn't entirely sure how to deal with what's going on right now. And it's it's also this story about someone who doesn't really receive kindness from anyone yeah. around her and then finally does receive kindness from doesn't an unexpected what to yeah. Do. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing, you know? Yeah. Um but yeah, no, I thought it was I thought it was fun, which is maybe a weird way to describe it, mm-hmm. but like it's it's trying to be fun. It is. You know, it's fun. It has its yeah. charming uh, charms. I thought it had, like, some really good performances and stuff, too. I think there's something that's stopping it from, like, fully getting to that, like, really mm-hmm. s- good sweet spot for me. But it was still a really enjoyable watch. I liked it more than I thought I was going to, I think. so. Mm-hmm. I had it really hyped up. Yeah. I I thought, mean, it's a pretty cool yeah. premise. It's a dope premise. Also based off her short, Sardita, which is the original title for it. I thought it was all right. I don't think it's bad. I just wanted to like it a little bit mm-hmm. more. And what we were discussing earlier, if your thumbnail image has to be the final shot of your movie, you're almost telling people that we ain't really got a... <laughs> it takes a little... 70% it of the movie, we don't have a shot that would really it sell it. It takes a little bit to get into that goal. It's not just taking a little bit. They, I thought they were going to get in even more. Yeah, I yeah. thought we were going to see some no, like body parts going through the water type thing bruh, moments, and then yeah. we didn't. <laughs> Yeah, it was more tame than I thought it was going to be. It was a lot more tame than I thought it was going to be. I think it arrived at a really interesting place towards the end of the movie. Yeah, it could have sat in that place Mm -hmm. for longer, and instead, it just it ended that story. I think the beginning is really good. Like Mm -hmm. the the scene in the pool where they trap in the pool. Yeah, that like the beginning. You do not need to see them since kindergarten. Right. What they did to her in that pool is enough for you to be like, I got it. That's it. That's all you need. What are you going to present to me in the second half? And they like, we might present to you something. (laughs) It's got a little bit of a second act problem in that it kind of stays in one mode because it's a short while. Yeah, exactly. And that that might be it. It it didn't it didn't fully expand (sighs) in in maintaining that level of interest. And it's not bad. It is not a bad movie. It's enjoyable. It's a decent movie. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Some like lack of fulfillment of its potential, maybe, but. But not for I this other one. I recommend Piggy. I thought it was good. But not for this other one right here. Yeah, so then our final in the midnight Amanda, section. please tell me you saw Speak I did. Now Oh, great. I didn't think you caught this oh, with Cole, so we Lord. can end it on an actual, on one that we've all on seen. actual discussion. Yes. Go for Speak it. Speak No Evil, directed by Christian Taldruff, or, or Taldruff, uh, a Danish family, goes on vacation with a Dutch family that they've just met, and their idyllic vacation becomes an increasingly uncomfortable situation as their new friends test their limits 
Art, as part of a couple that just went on a road trip vacation with another couple, sitting in the back seat for the majority of the ride, did you feel like the Danes in this movie? I came back with no kids. I don't know what they did. Yeah, you get back to Chicago I... and like he's like, holy fuck, they can't leave. They still can't. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> he, he thinks it's him. It's actually me. <laughs> this movie was one of the first that we saw on our way over. A lot of it takes place in the car, and I told Zach, bro, it felt like we were watching a 40X movie. <laughs> what do you consider this movie? What genre? I mean, I, I'd go full on horror because it, it, like, it does culminate in a pretty horrific way, but even before it gets there, it's the type of unsettling social discomforts mm -hmm. that, like, a good movie like Midsommar is ultimately about, even if that has horror elements in it, right? Like, it is kind of like... the, it, It's it's not a comedy. It's it, This is like, you know, upsetting situations they find themselves getting into. I might put this over hatching, bro, and I was just... <laughs> so it's my number one of the Nah, you don't... Like, this is a horror, yeah. for sure, yeah. and it delivers on all those aspects, especially at the end. This is a satire. Yes. Yeah. They're pitching it as a satire. The moment I heard that, I went, you forget what a satire is, Zach, sometimes, because you have all these studios telling you what I a hate satire it. I is. Hate it. And you start, <laughs> at, right? And then you start going, maybe I don't like satires, but you realize, not that you don't like satires, is that they're giving you terrible yeah. satires. This is the epitome of what a horror satire should be. Mm -hmm. Because you don't even realize that it's... How, how would you describe a satire? Because you were saying the word comedy right now. And, and a satire should be a secret yes. comedy. Right. And this secretly is making fun of every trope a parent would do mm -hmm. in a situation like this. But it doesn't come off like, haha, we're making fun of it, scary movie. This comes off like, it's with you in the audience realizing like, should they be... Right. Hitting that car yeah. back. Should they still remain in this place? Should they allow their daughter to play with the kid? All of these different yeah. aspects that I felt... Uh, I don't consider what I had with you a rewatch, but looking back up and seeing how the moments played out, I was just like, this is a very freaking smart movie. Mm -hmm. And um, I would talk more about it, but it gets into spoilers. Does, yeah. But this is one that I would love to get into an after credits with y'all. Yeah, maybe, maybe we'll have to do that when it's closer to release because it is a really exciting yeah. one. This, is this another one of the IFC pickups, shutter pickup? I really, I think it's a shutter pickup, and for that, yeah, I think I'm, it I'm is very shutter. excited. And, and like, I, Amanda, I definitely agree with that. Like, I, I feel like what, what Scream did to the slasher genre, this definitely did to that kind of more like social convention horror and like how people feel like they need to act to like maintain certain things when like your brain is like literally the, poli the politeness yeah the yeah like your brain are, is screaming yeah. at you being like there is something wrong yeah. here but then there's this other part that's been raised and grained and trained into you that's like you need to be polite it's definitely not what you think it is yeah it'll be fine. You can't be rude. And there's just like all of these, like the societal expectations that you're following through, even though your like fight or flight response in your brain is like, what the fuck are you doing? So then you're in your seat being like, Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's as good as this movie, but the movie that I think it has the most in common with is force majeure. That I know you're yeah. going to say that. Because <laughs> it is that, it's that like, I knew exactly what the yeah. hell you were going to say situations. too. Yeah. It's it's really I think it's really intelligent in those moments and I think it I think it actually is that whole second act which usually is where a movie struggles that I thought this was the best I was just yeah the, the slow mm -hmm. escalation of tension and stakes and like I I actually don't know if I fully felt 
like it, it earned its ending. Like it, I, I liked the ending. I don't know if it was a hundred percent. Like I bought the characters in those moments. Oh, I did. I saw it. I saw, yeah. Like the moment we got there, I was like, of course we're gonna get here. I mean, it's it's it works. And it's, it's raw, it's, bro. It's, a, it's yeah. It it gives you that like the that kind of thrill that you want from the ending. Um, and I still thought it was great, and like I said, this is my favorite in the midnight uh, section. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, there are some people who we we've heard from who maybe didn't respond as positively as we did to this. I think it's just so smart in it's its analysis of of how people interact. I mean, it's almost like Lanthimosian mm. in how it's dissecting social that, uh, social interaction. We compare so much to Lanthimos just because of the outside level. Like, oh, they wore the same color. They spoke the same way. Yeah. That's not what makes... That's the most surface level Lanthimos connections you can make. That's a good Lanthimos connection. Exactly. Because yeah. it's a, it's about unpacking how people interact and how society functions. And that this is what dude. that movie is trying to do. Yeah, it's a very smart movie. I liked it a lot. I'm, I'm glad you liked it a lot. Yeah, me too. too. I, had a, I had a good time uh, with it. Was this your favorite in the midnight? No, section? mine's still fresh. I'm pretty sure. Um, nice. I pro- I might have to rewatch them, kind of like, like rewatch fresh again. Closer. Yeah, like just so- something with fresh got to the point where I was all like, yeah, screaming at the scene. It ended <laughs> on like heads will roll by the yeah yeah yeahs. Like that's just a good time. Um, but yeah, I was gonna yeah, watch. Yeah, yes, damn, they were everywhere. Yeah, they? Mm-hmm. yeah, doubles. I was gonna. Um, I'm going to check out Speak No Evil again, just to kind of like see how it stacks up there. But it's between those two for sure. Totally. And Art, uh, if Sunday, they don't give out an award for the Midnight section. Which is Sunday. dumb. Stupid. That's not sense. I, I don't, don't know. get it. Um, but if they did, you'd give it to Speak No Evil? Yeah, number three, I have Meet Me in the Bathroom. And like I said right now, between <laughs> one and two, Hatching and Speak No Evil. Yeah, I think I'm the same. I, I really do like them both. Yeah, mine's yeah. Meet Me uh, in damn. the Bathroom. I don't know. Really good movies. Third. It's number Third. one. But it's Third like, Third? should okay, it gotcha. be here? <laughs> like, it should yeah, not be there. It, it's on the ranking just because it, it's in the category. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. It should be in the yeah. kids, but <laughs> other than that. Uh, all right, so I mean, I think that brings us to the end of our Sundance recap. Somehow this marathon felt a little bit more manageable than yeah. last year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're also together. I think there's a complete difference there in doing the festival and going yeah. through it at once as opposed to like hey so now we're catching up how was your screening where did you see it what was your room yeah. what was that i think we were being together for the whole week and coming back for this yeah is, and it, uh, it was different. helpful to kind of like have each other to uh you know keep going with the mm-hmm. movies yeah and exactly you have a group to go with it and we I can think unpack them part. a little bit afterward we weren't at sundance but we were still with our sundance yeah. group which is the which most is great. important exactly. so uh, a lot of fun. I thought this was a really solid Sundance. It's I a think good lineup. I was worried for a little bit that it wouldn't quite meet our expectations from previous really? years. Yeah, because, you know, I was, I, I got through a couple days of it and I was like, man, there's no, like, there's no movie that I wanted to give, like, the four and a half star, the five star. Mm. But then, like you said, by the end, there was just so many of those, like, four star. You're not paying attention to all the four stars that yeah. you're giving because you're looking for that five. Mm-hmm. And then you realize, like, well, that's a, yeah, it's yeah. a good amount. I thought that the moment that we had the whole theatrical lineup uh, ready to go for in person yeah. and then it got switched back, that part of me was still going, like, well, these are still mm-hmm. big movies from the studios mm-hmm. that they wanted in, in that sense, that they were you know, looking forward to being theatrical. I only just wonder of that. What if of you have an opening in person? Does that change the entire rollout for a movie? Khan showed after Yang. Why is it bigger now at Sundance? Is it because people are seeing it at home? Is it because they, they changed the runtime? Yeah. Who? Yeah. But like, what in the ten minutes could have been cut 
that changes everything. Because you and I saw a version that we want to see more of. So is it the rollout? Is it the being in person? Is it the being online that changes how people receive something? That's always a very interesting question mm-hmm. for me. It'll be very interesting, very interesting to and see. Like you said, how do they roll out? How does a movie that got good reception at Sundance do afterwards or a movie that got bad reception mm-hmm. do once it's out in the real world? Yeah. So that'll Absolutely. be the other factor. What about you, uh, Amanda? You, you feel like this was uh, a solid Sundance compared to the previous films you went to? Maybe even a little better, maybe a little worse? Yeah, I feel like, um, yeah, basically once I hit Cha-Cha... I was like in a really good place with this festival because it hit me really hard at times in like a good way. I like being emotionally moved by movies and I felt like I was having a hard time connecting to things like the last little while where there's just because they were worse, worse quality or it just wasn't stories that were resonating with me in the right way. This one, I had so many different movies that resonated in certain ways and they were just like really good, really enjoyable, lots of stuff to get like really excited about. So like, I'm very happy with this year's Sundance, especially compared to last year's. There were a lot that really stood out to me, but like Coda was probably the one that emotionally hit me the hardest last year, other than like Judas and the Black Messiah. But then there was just a bunch of stuff in between that was all like, some of this is really good and some of it's kind of and like... This year, yeah. there was just a lot. I had a lot more threes last yeah, year. Yeah, I feel like last year, there was yeah. a bigger year, divide between, like, here's the good stuff and here's kind of everything else that's meandering along. And this year, it was all like, here's, like, the great stuff. Here's a bunch of really good stuff. And then there's only a handful at the mm-hmm. bottom that are like, eh. I, I definitely think this was the best year for not seeing bad Yes. Things, right? Like, even if, if I didn't, and not every single movie was, like, a five-star or something, like, I didn't give negative reviews to very many movies at all and I I saw a lot just the percentage is Mm -hmm. unreal that's our percentage now if you do end up with a really bad percentage that's on you that's on you you gotta make different I don't know how you ended up with those movies and not anything else that was over there but I think yeah I would agree with you you have a a bigger percentage of seeing something that you don't Mm -hmm. hate hopefully you loved some of them but I, I don't think that you were going to end up with something that you really dislike even the movies that we disliked weren't even on our radar we did not get disappointed yeah. by anything probably second chance was my biggest disappointment yeah. because you know roger ebert gave him the, the <laughs> head honcho award over there Brainwash so might have been my biggest disappointment. i, I kind of knew going into it that that she, there was gonna be too much in there but even then yeah you have more of a disappointment than something that you actually hate um so i i thought overall it was a very solid fest they flipped it over the cleanest way possible, mm-hmm. I guess they could have. They could have done it earlier. Yeah, not too bad. Yeah, Sucks for we'll people see, we'll who were just out a bunch of money because they couldn't like make it down. But like, yeah. there's so much you can do about that. Yeah. Uh, you could announce earlier. That's I guess, what they could have done but about overall, that. <laughs> I guess. Yep. But I think the festival still had a really good lineup. I, I think they had a very interesting rollout in the way that they were able to do things virtually. We all hope that they continue to do that. We saw the South by schedule. We see how they're starting to split it up. Turns out there is an online, and it is the headliners that you will have to see in person. Yeah. So we will see how Sundance decides to do that for the future, because at least for South by, they know what a headliner is. It's the movie that's coming out in a couple mm-hmm. weeks. For Sundance, their premieres are things that they don't know where they're going to yeah. go. So what's a headliner at Sundance? Is the whole premiere category going to be something that you can only see in utah and then everything else is online mm-hmm. we'll see how they develop that yeah definitely be interesting to see how sundance adapts to the future given the difficulties of this year's festival but overall i think it's a very successful festival and it's exciting huh? to be able to share it with so many people and hear from all the intercuities as the festival is going along and hear you know what movies they're responding to obviously <laughs> we have a big cha-cha real smooth hive in the comments so uh that's really cool to to see that people are, are like it, yeah. emotional responses to these movies that's that all are, that matters are not yet publicly available so, so that was dope so good. Yeah. 
I think we'll wrap up our Sundance recap there, but uh, for more, you can catch me, Zach Shevich, by following me on Twitter, Instagram, or Letterboxd, at Zshevich, that's Z-S-H-E-V is in virtual reality, I-C-H. Mm. Amanda, where can people find more? You can find you? me on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, occasionally Twitch, at Amanda the Jedi. Nice, Art. Where can people find more from you? You can find me honking for Jesus over on Twitter. You can find me cha-chaing real smooth over on Letterboxd. And you can catch me never dying here on the Intercut Podcast. You can listen to every episode of the Intercut Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher. I like Overcast. And then make sure you're subscribed not just to the audio podcast, but to the video feed as well on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash IntercutPod, where you can watch our bright, smiling faces as we break down the latest in entertainment. Find new episodes of the Intercut Podcast every Monday, and it'd be TerraLift if you stop commented, like, subscribed on the video. Uh, consider heading over to iTunes to give us that much-requested five-star video, uh, review, and shout-out to our listeners in Belgium and Nigeria for putting us on the TV and film Ayo. podcast charts out there like our facebook instagram and twitter pages all of them are at intercutpod including our patreon where you can support the show for as little as one dollar a month and check out our discord in the links in the description to get updates throughout the week from art from me from amanda from all the guests we feature here on intercut thanks again for tuning in and until next time from here on out our life will be volcanoes 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 Sick.